seemed like everybody else was making money except for me. So my doubt was like, maybe I'm too young or maybe these sellers are too hard or maybe these attorneys are really gonna always kill the deal. This business, if you just give it your all and you commit and you study your craft and you master it, it can give you the life of your dreams. How did you become a millionaire in seven years? It's understanding fear. Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. So we have Greg Halbeck with Velocity House Buyers. And Greg flew in from Reno, Nevada to talk about how you become a millionaire before the age of 27. When I started, I like, <laughs> I want to become a millionaire before 30. He did it by 27, that's incredible. Uh, guys, I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on the show alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. And the show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to millions of cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors to get 10% off. And guys, if you get value today, please hit that subscribe button. That way we can all grow together. Ready to go? Ready to go. All right. First question is, what was your life like right before you got into real estate? Wow. It's crazy because that was like eight years ago now. <laughs> I started when I was 20. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I was in college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was getting off of a failed hockey career. I wanted to play in the NHL, and that didn't work out. But uh, yeah. I was in community college, living with my parents in their basement, honestly. It's kind of like one of those like you know infomercials, like, yeah. oh, he was in his basement, and now he's a real estate millionaire. Yeah. But Working in his mom's basement. I mean, that's something we talk about. Working in my mom's basement, man. Yeah. So I was in community college. I remember I got into reading books towards the end of my hockey career, mm -hmm. and you know, I read this book called Elite Minds by Stan Beecham. It's like super under the radar book. Yeah, never heard of it. it. Got me into like the mind and, you know, psychology mm -hmm. and all that stuff and mindset. And then yeah. read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, as most of the guests probably have. Right. And he talked about real estate. And I knew you could make money in real estate. I knew like a lot of people were wealthy through real estate, but I never really figured it out. I never wanted to be a realtor. I didn't really know how to go about it. But then mm -hmm. I started listening to podcasts because I had a side job cutting lawns and doing weed whacking, mm -hmm. kind of like a contractor scenario. Yeah. I remember I'd listen to these podcasts and the guy was talking about it was actually Matt Terrio, Epic okay. Real Estate Investing. Yeah. Popular. Very popular. And then Sean Terry I'd listen to. Right. And they were talking about wholesaling and, you know, doing double closings. And then, you know, it started to make some sense. And then I went to a seminar. It was like one of those pitch seminars. And they were like, you can wholesale houses with no money. You can use the buyer's money. They came to Newburgh where I was living, like near yeah. where I was living at the time. And me and my buddy Devin went to the seminar with our other friend, Kevin. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, right. it's real estate. Because I remember Rich Dad Porter, I talked about it. And then I looked, both, I looked at both of them and I was like, I don't care what you guys are doing. I'm signing up for like the next level training because mm -hmm. it was a pitch fest. Mm -hmm. And they said, you can take somebody for free. So why don't we see if we can do a three for one deal? Because mm -hmm. we already have the two for one deal. Kevin was like, I'm not doing it. Devin was like, I'll do it with you. We signed up for that seminar and then the rest is history. Um, where were you playing hockey at? Playing in Massachusetts. So okay. I was playing up in the Boston area. Is that where you grew up? No, I grew up in New York. Grew up in New grew York. Up in the New York City area. Okay. And then you went to Boston to play hockey? Went to Boston to play hockey for a year and a half. Okay. And then I literally, like, I'm not a big quitter of things, but mm -hmm. I knew that was a complete waste of time because I knew, like, the level I was playing at, the odds of me playing D1 hockey at that level were really low. Mm -hmm. And I was just burning my parents' money. And this is, you were in community college at this time? Or? After I got done with hockey, I went to community college. Locally. Okay. So you're playing D1. Or you were, you're trying to get to D1. I was trying to get to D1. What's before D1? Junior hockey. Junior hockey. Which is like uh, after high school. It's like high school, junior hockey, and then college. Oh, yeah. gotcha. I wasn't aware of that. Okay. Yeah, it's a whole system in hockey. Yeah. The younger you are, the better, but I was old. 
because yeah. I was like 19. Mm -hmm. So I was like kind of one of the older guys and like all the really good kids are like 18, 19. And mm -hmm. I was like, this is just, I literally packed my stuff up and drove home. I called yeah. my mom in Connecticut. I was like, hey, I'll be home in two hours. Like I'm done. Right. And she was like, oh. I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. Like, this is a waste of time. Right. And she was like, okay, honey, I'll see you in two hours. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Crazy. Uh, so uh, you go to the seminar um, and you sign up. Yeah. Uh, how much was the seminar? $2,000. 2000 It was 1000 each. So a thousand each to a ten or to a ten, yeah. To go and to then the, the upsell was, oh, that was like fifty thousand. So it was a free seminar, and then we paid the two thousand for the elite each. training. Yeah, for the elite training. That's a steal. It was a great deal. Yeah, they yeah. taught you everything too. But yeah. then they were like, if you need hands-on coaching, and then they get you to raise your credit card limits. It's like mm -hmm. the whole thing. I think that right. model's kind of going away now, mm -hmm. which I don't really believe in. But the next one was like fifty grand, and then I was thinking about it, and I was like, Devin was like, Nah, dude, like we don't need to do that. Like we just yeah. gotta go out and like. Market. So you say the rest is history. And yeah. Eight years ago. Yeah. So you take this information, you go to the next level of training. Talk to me about how you got your first deal. Oh, that seems like so long ago. Mm -hmm. So my first deal was from a bandit sign. Yeah. So I had no money when I started. Like, you know, I spent basically half the money on my bank account to go to the seminar. So I was mm -hmm. left with $1,000. I had to sell my car, bought a cheaper car. You know, I had to like, you know, kind of. You had a lot of skin yeah. in the game. Yes, I did. And a lot of time invested. But yeah. the one marketing channel, at least back in the day that worked well was bandit signs because mm -hmm. they were cheap. I'd put them out myself. I'd put them out every weekend consistently. I would never miss. I'd take them or I'd put them out on Friday night, take them out on Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. So they'd be out for like 48 hours. And then I would get calls, right? And I was getting these leads pretty cheap because I was just my time back then, right. right? And I remember we got a call from a lady in Poughkeepsie and she was like, yeah, I want to sell. My daughter's living in the property. There's like, you know, some sketchy stuff going on in there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I think this is a motivated seller. Cause like the training's <laughs> like, you got to deal with motivated sellers. And right. I did not know what a motivated seller was. Yeah. So I, you know, spoke with her and I, this is where a lot of new investors screw up. I reached out to people in my market at the mm -hmm. time who were bigger than me. And there was this one guy, Dave Brown, his website was ranked number one. So I called him. This is before I had that lead. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Hey, I'm new. Like kind of like the typical thing. I'm new. Is there anything I can do to help you? Like I'm trying to get my first deal. So him and I like formed a relationship and I helped him with some of his leads. But then when I got this lead, I was like, Hey, can we partner on this deal? Like I have the seller. She wants to sell pretty cheap. You have a buyer we can split this on and he found a buyer so we locked the deal up he so new york is like a really hard market yes it is like very hard market like especially like the lower hudson valley and long island it's very very competitive and it's expensive so i didn't have money for earnest money deposit so he put up the earnest money deposit he dealt with a contract he dealt with the attorney and we split ten thousand dollars nice and i checked for five grand mm -hmm. so i went back to my parents and i was like because they saw me working my tail off and they didn't see any money i was basically paying to work Right. Right. So they were like, oh, like, I hope this works out, Greg. Like, if it doesn't work out, you can get a job. And I'm like, I'm not getting a job. I like, refused to get a job. I was like, on the, I was doing like Gary Vee garage selling on the weekends to mm -hmm. like have some extra money. Split that deal, five grand, five grand. I brought them a check. I was like, hey, this works. Another deal came up like two months later for another five grand. But mm -hmm. like the mistake I was making in the beginning, which is, I guess, a good mistake, is I was kind of just going to like a couple buyers and like spoon feeding them deals. Mm -hmm. And they'd pay me whatever they wanted. Like if it was five grand, great. If it was 10 grand, great. Like I had no leverage. Mm -hmm. I didn't have money for deposits because New York, you can't just lock a deal up with a seller. You have to like get an attorney involved and it's like you have to put a big deposit down. Mm -hmm. So they helped me like in that difficult market kind of get the first few deals under my belt. Yeah. But I knew after some time, I'm like, I can't hit my goals if I'm like dependent on these buyers. So mm -hmm. I need to figure out how to do this, you know, without relying on a buyer. Right. Putting the deposit down. So um, Bandit Signs. Getting calls. I mean, how how was that first deal? Was it mean, was it a layup basically after you got it locked up? 
It was a okay. complete layup. Like the lady sold me the house, super cheap, no resistance, no mm. objections. Yeah. It was like, couldn't have asked for the better, like the, the seller. Like All I right. wish I could clone the seller nowadays because <laughs> we'd be doing this show from the back of a yacht or something. Uh, you know, it just doesn't work like that. So then what was your next, what was your next deal? Next deal was actually from another bandit sign in Westchester County, mm. which is even harder than where I'm from. That's like an hour south. Mm -hmm. And that was from a bandit sign. That was not a layup. That seller was pretty sophisticated. Like a lot of these people in Westchester, like they might be motivated, but they're, they're educated, mm -hmm. right? So like we had to get an attorney involved there in Westchester and he was having issues with wholesale. So we had to like sneak the assignment in and like convince the attorney that we're still going to close and yeah. like put like 10 grand down. So I made, I ultimately made $5,000 wholesaling that house too mm -hmm. from another bandit sign. So like the ROI and the bandit sign was great. Right. But then I was like, all right, I can't just rely on these bandit signs because I don't really know when the calls are going to come in. Mm -hmm. But I had no money for like the like a, like a direct mail company, so I would just buy lists from the county and I would handwrite the letters myself. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got my third deal. It was fifteen thousand. Nice. It was a handwritten letter. Like I would literally handwrite the yellow letters, and then I realized that was inefficient. So then I bought a printer. I'd mail merge mm -hmm. the printed letters, and then I would mail merge the uh, like the envelopes. So then all I had to do was lick the stamps, which is not a good use of time now, and seal the envelopes. But like that worked super well back in 2016. Did you see the company on the right when you walked through the front door? Probably walked by them. I didn't see them, though. It says on the, on the, on, on the outside, it says, uh, uh, hail all the robots. Right? <laughs> um, it's a handwriting, uh, handwritten letter company. Really? Yeah, I actually got a tour yesterday from the owner. And I was like, wow, it's incredible to watch all these handwritten letters Crazy, by pen. Right? Right, it's, it's that nuts. was around back then. Seriously, Jeez, although man. I don't know how much. <laughs> I don't know if I could have afforded it back then. Yeah, man. That's, those are probably. I mean, I was doing it yeah. personally. It was Greg's handwriting. Yeah, so, beginning. how did you uh, continue? I guess. Um, well, what would have happened? Because you were saying there's no way in heck you're getting a job. You're going to do the garage sale, Gary Vee thing forever. Yeah. What would happen if you never got your first deal? Honestly, I would have stuck it out until I got my first deal. But mm -hmm. to answer your question, I would have probably just continued buying and selling stuff at yard sales. Yeah. Cause eventually like the garage selling stuff was cool, but then I started figuring out I could go like lowball people for AC units, mm -hmm. like window units mm -hmm. and make a better margin on that. I probably would have tried to scale that. that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just like figured like, I remember there's a couple funny stories, but like the first one, this guy, I remember I drove to Poughkeepsie, which is mm -hmm. where the first deal was in the hood, yeah. like bad, bad, bad neighborhood by myself. Like kind of when it's getting dark out in the summer, mm -hmm. picked up this AC unit for like 50 bucks resold it for like 250 so like i netted 200 dollars, and i was like man what if i did two of these a day yeah right so i started doing more of that stuff and like there was like the standing units i i knew those were good margins and people would just give these away like mm -hmm. it was ridiculous and then one time i was at a garage sale this guy had an anderson window just sitting by the trash and i was like hey are you just throwing that out and he's like yeah i was like can i just have it and he's like sure sold that for like a hundred bucks so i started to realize window? like these windows and what's these, an anderson window it's a really high-end window Okay. Like if you see like a nice house, usually there's Anderson windows in it. Like really good finishes. I All don't right. put those in my rehabs. Gotcha. They're too expensive. I see. Yeah. So you saw a pane of glass or a window and you're like. <laughs> Easy $100. There's $100 in the garbage can. I was like, this guy. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Just giving it away. Um, did you have any doubts along the yeah, way? Yeah. The biggest doubt I had was like, I would consume these podcasts when mm -hmm. I would drive around and put bandit signs out and write the letters. And it seemed like everybody else was making money except for me. Like I'd hear one guy in Virginia do a wholesale deal for 30 grand. And then this guy in Pennsylvania would do one for 20 grand. And I was like, all these other people are doing this, but I have not done this yet. So my doubt was like, well, maybe it doesn't work in New York or maybe I'm too young or, 
maybe these sellers are too hard or maybe these attorneys are really going to always kill the deal. Mm -hmm. And it took like, you know, nine to 12 months of just grit and persistence. And like in the beginning of any business, you don't have momentum. So it's very hard to like yeah. have consistency because you have no, no momentum or experience. Like I had no business experience. I was a kid out of college. Right. I didn't understand KPIs and numbers. And like, it was just kind of like all just going out and taking action and, you know, hopefully getting a deal whenever that came, you know, and it ended up taking nine months. But the nine months definitely, I mean, that's a significant amount of time. You think that book you're talking about Elite Minds? Yeah. Do you think that helped? It did because it yeah. taught you about beliefs and like yeah. false beliefs and true beliefs. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have false beliefs. So like I would let these false beliefs creep into my head that like it wouldn't work. But then I realized it was just a limiting belief. Mm -hmm. And obviously if all these other people, like the big thing I realized at the seminar was like, if all these other people can do it, clearly there's like a market for this. Like it mm -hmm. clearly works. But in the beginning it was like, why would someone sell their house below market value? Like that didn't compute in my mm -hmm. mind. I'm like, why would someone do that? Like you have yeah. a house worth 300 K you're going to sell it for 150. That doesn't, like, it doesn't make sense. But then yeah. I realized after, you know, eight years, like, this happens on the daily. <laughs> All the time. All the time. Um, we, so we, uh, I don't know if you heard any about call I had a moment ago. Right? So we're talking about installment method, right? Yeah, yeah, I heard that. And, and the lady was like, well, why would anyone ever do this? Why would they just listen to the realtors? Like, I don't know. Why does anyone sell their house at cash buyers? I can't explain to you yeah. why people sell their right? house for cash buyers. Or like an ovation. Or an ovation, right? It's like, like, how do I pitch this? Same exact way you pitch an ovation. Same so it's like, why would someone do this instead of listening? It's like, I can't tell you. Right, I can tell you, I would never do this. <laughs> yeah, I would never sell my house at a discount. Right, I would never sell my house at cash buyer. Greg can call me. I'm not selling my house for cash. Right, never. Uh, we have uh, uh, <laughs> BJ Gramillion. He uh, he moved to Tennessee recently, but you know he used to live out here. Yeah, and we're both in Collective Genius together, right? And one day I get a postcard from him, and I posted it inside that Facebook group. I was like, oh, hey, so you know, BJ, thanks for. <laughs> But I don't need to sell my house for cash. Yeah, yeah, appreciate yeah, right? it. That's funny. I'm on those lists too. I'm like, yeah. apps, I'm on the absentee owner list on some rental properties, yeah. and I'm like, why are they mailing me? Right. Like my good buddy Ken in Delaware, who's mm -hmm. in CG. Yeah. I got a postcard from him about a flip he did yeah, in Pennsylvania, yeah. mm -hmm. and I'm like, Ken, man, can I speak to your marketing department? <laughs> and I just bought that property. And we flipped right. it. Right. So it's like you never know. You never know. So, but yeah, the, uh, the belief like no one would ever sell the house for cash, and yeah. I had the same journey as well. Yep. Right. I used to believe when I was wearing my realtor hat. Oh, where, yeah. That's a tough belief right? if you have a realtor hat on. Right? Yeah. Like these, these people, like we're lowballing these people. We're taking advantage of people. Like that's the yeah. realtor hat. And like no yeah. one will ever take less. And then it really took a couple of homeowners, like, I want you to give me cash now. It's like, really? You'd rather have cash now than like more money? Like after a few of those, like, okay. They're so out there. I am putting my own beliefs and projecting it onto somebody else. Yes. Yeah, it's funny you say that because there's so many homeowners were like back when I did the acquisitions, like we really helped them. Yeah. They were not going to solve their problem unless somebody like me or mm -hmm. another investor came into play because right. a lot of these people, they just can't make decisions. Yeah. Right. And you have to help them guide. You can you got to guide them down that journey. And a lot of these sellers, like they'll be like, if it wasn't for you guys, I would have never sold this house because like. We know how to solve the title problems and buy houses with violations. And it's yeah. like a lot of people think, yeah, just because you put your house on the market with an agent, you're going to get more money. Yeah, but the buyer is going to be picking you apart. It's not right. like you get this. It's like a seesaw. Well, the, the best testimony I've ever gotten was a deal that I made a ridiculous amount of money on. Yeah, right? it always is the best testimonials. It's the best, right? Yeah. And I was like, why was this the case? Yeah. Well, they had a house that they smoked heavily, husband and wife, for a long time. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when I did the rehab, I had to paint the walls twice because the first coat of paint, the first coat of prime and paint yeah. was not enough. 
Yeah. And so we had oh, and we had the, and we cleaned the vents twice. Oh yeah, dude. All right. So I took a second layer of prime and paint to get the smoke away. And even then, who knows? Who knows? For Still sure. was a little yeah. Right. Dingy in there. But the biggest thing was that they were buying a home, their dream home on the lake. Okay. Right. And like them getting that dream home on the lake was contingent on them selling this house. Yeah. Right. But like someone else on the outside looks at it, looks at it, it's like, oh, you took advantage of them. It's like, well, who's buying that house? Whereas like it's even hard to keep your eyes open inside the home. And then like they were able to meet their time frame to live in their dream home for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Right. So, so solve that problem for them. Solve that problem. Uh, so what was it? When did you know that this business was real for you? It was actually when I didn't do deals in New York, which is funny. That's like a whole nother chapter yeah. in my life. But basically, I was like kind of just getting by in New York. Didn't have enough money to move out of my parents' house. This is like 2017-ish. So like every two or three months, I'd run into a deal, make 10, 15. I was like a cash buyer employee, as Todd Toback would say. <laughs> I was just like working for these cash buyers, you know, yeah. with random compensation. And I was like, all right, New York is hard. And that's funny because that's where we do a lot of business now, like eight years later. But I was like, what if there's another market where I didn't have to deal with it? Because the attorneys were the problem. Like they were asking for five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars down per house. And it's like I didn't have that much money just mm -hmm. sitting on, you know, on the shelf right. to, to put them down. So I was like, there was two things. I did a deal, the first deal I did from direct mail was a vacant tax delinquent, like distressed, inherited house. So mm -hmm. it was inherited, vacant, and tax delinquent. And I was like, what if I just found a list that was just those three things and just mm -hmm. marketed to those people? And mm -hmm. then what if I didn't do this in New York? It was like this hypothesis I had. Mm -hmm. And I was in Investor Fuel Mastermind. And yeah. I was like, oh, Dallas seems like a good market. I didn't do any like market research. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of people in Dallas. So I started to basically cold call in Dallas in 2018. Mm -hmm. And I would buy, I, this is literally what I did. Bought the tax delinquent list, used AccuZip, which isn't even a thing anymore. Now you can use like Invelo or something that's like stacking software. Mm -hmm. I'd flag all the vacants and then I would look for like the estate of, which means it was inherited. Mm -hmm. And I would just cold call these people and lock deals up over the phone. And I met a guy in Investor Fuel who I JV with. He would sell the deal or we would just buy it in cash because yeah. it was super cheap because I saved some money up at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's when like I went from like barely doing a deal every other month to like two, three, four, five deals a month consistently, virtually without ever, ever having to see the property. Yeah. And then I moved to San Diego and I was like, this is what I was waiting for. Like mm -hmm. it took a long time, but like, then I was like, okay, every month I know as long as I do this work, I'm going to get this many leads. We're going to make this many offers. I started to track my numbers at that point. Yeah. And then there was consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you talk about the stack list, which, you know, uh, Evo. Yes. Batch leads. Yeah. I remember him doing this, this case study on stack leads and it was like, no, that guy. That's that's Greg. That was right? me. Right, you yeah. were the case study. Yeah, for the stack list. Yeah, yeah. Right, and I mean, you I made... had a six figure deal from that. I remember right. that case study. Yeah, that was from the stack list. Yeah, you want to talk about that deal? Yeah, yeah. That was actually in New York, ironically. Right. But basically, <laughs> yeah. long story short, it was a vacant property that was inherited. He didn't have any tax issues, but he lived in like the South Jersey area. Mm -hmm. And I personally texted that guy because it was from the stack list because I knew it was like a good, like good prospect. I think it was call. like seven, seven like. <laughs> Yeah, with that yeah it's just like, so this super stack list, <laughs> texted the guy on my cell phone and he like got back to me a day later. And he was like, yeah, I'd sell that. It's my parent. It was my parents' house. And it was in like a really good area of New York. City's like 30 minutes away. Mm -hmm. I remember I was in New York at that point. Like I was there for like Easter or something. I met the guy at the house and I'll never forget this. I knew my offer, like my, my first offer was gonna be like 190. Mm -hmm. That was like my like starting low ball, like anchor price. And I asked him, I'm like, Brian, what would you want to sell this house for? And he's like, 140. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. And I didn't say, I just shut up. I was like, okay. 
well, if you got that number, what would your next step be? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I can't make a decision right now. So I never gave him an offer. I was like, okay, that's fair. Let me um, run my numbers. I said, when do you think you're going to be able to make a decision? Because there was another decision maker. And mm-hmm. he's like, call me on Monday. So I call him Monday. Hey, Brian, you know, had that conversation go with your girlfriend. And he's like, yeah, I spoke to her. She thinks we need to get more money. I'm like, okay, what do you want to get for the house? And he's like, 185. And meanwhile, my starting price was going to be 190. I never right. opened my mouth. Mm-hmm. He said 185. And I'm like, all right. If I could do 185, would you be able to commit to the deal? And he's like, yeah, for sure. So I gave him exactly what he wanted. Mm-hmm. He committed to the deal. I rehabbed the house, made like 100 grand or something. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God. And that was the first time I got a hard money loan. I was like terrified to borrow money. It's like <laughs> freaking me out. But at, the, at that point, I did enough deals to where I kind of knew what I was doing. Yeah. But I made six figures on one deal. And I had like a little, like Earl Nightingale always talks about like you write your goal down on a card. Mm-hmm. And my goal was to make 100K like net on one house before yeah. a certain day. I think I was like five days late. But I remember I took it out of my wallet and I was like, oh, wow, this stuff works. Yeah. But yeah. Well, and I remember that case study specifically because you already had a brand, right? At yeah. that time. Yeah. Right. Um, so actually, before we get to that, New York. Oh, it's a tough um, I don't know anyone that loves doing business in the state of New York. So there's Bill Alvaro. Billy's as well. You should get him on the show. Oh, I mean, if he'll come out here, I've asked him multiple times. And Jeremiah, you got to get on the show. Yeah. Jeremiah, we got to get on the show. You got to get him on the show. Man. Right. So we got Jeremiah, we got Billy, uh, we got Warner, Kiroga. Yep. Good guy. Right. So, like, they're guys that do business in New York. Yep. And we got the twins, right? The Duroff brothers. Yep. Right? They're in so, my market. Yeah. Yeah. So we got people that are in New York, but I don't think they love doing business in New York. No. I think they just do business in New York. You have to just accept it. <laughs> or you got, I mean, like, you choose suffering, right? Yeah. 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 Right. The spreads are big. The spreads are big. Huge. Right. Huge spreads. So talk to me about the challenges of doing business in New York. So the first thing is that the seller profile is not like, because I've done business all over the country for the most part, like Mm -hmm. Midwest, South, uh, West Coast. The profile of the seller in New York, everyone thinks they're getting scammed there. Everyone has an attorney and everyone thinks they're getting scammed. So the sellers are- I mean, they just, is 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 it a victim mindset? Is it- Not a victim. They just, they just, they don't believe you. They think it's a scam. They're just skeptical. They're skeptical. They're very skeptical about anything that's not listing your house with a realtor. So let me just kind of sidetrack this just a moment, right? So I know they're a little louder in Manhattan. Yeah. I know this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I I, I had to, like, prepare myself mentally for this, right? So we're out there, and we walk into a pizzeria. In Manhattan. In Manhattan. Okay. And I told my wife, told my kids, like, hey, you know, they're going to be a little louder. Yeah. And even though I knew this logically, factually, when we ordered the pizza and Coke, I was like, why is this guy yelling at me? <laughs> <laughs> you should see the bagel store. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm a paying customer. Yeah. Why is he screaming at me? Like, I'm like, this is low life, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a different attitude. The attitude there is skeptical. <laughs> like, it's, it, that's the first thing. So it's the seller profile. They're skeptical. Like, they see postcards. They see Google ads. Mm. They're like, this is a scam. So you have to overcome a lot of resistance. But once you get the seller and you, you can make, you get them on your side and mm. whatever, the next biggest obstacle in New York is the attorneys. Mm-hmm. So in New York, this typical way you're supposed to do it, and we sometimes do it a different way legally, mm-hmm. but the seller gets their own attorney. They prepare the contract. So the seller's attorney prepares the contract. Then they send it to your attorney, mm-hmm. and then you got to make sure the contract doesn't have crazy language in it. Because in New York, generally speaking, there's no inspection contingency. You get an inspection done before you buy the house. Mm-hmm. So you get an offer accepted, and then there's an inspection. So you don't even have a binding contract. So you could walk, the seller could walk, and then after the inspection, if there's issues with the house, they put it into the contract in like an addendum. And then you sign that and then you do that before you close. Mm-hmm. So the problem in New York is that a lot of attorneys, they want 10% down. So if you're buying a house for 300000 
the standard New York thing is you put $30,000 down. So if you're a wholesaler and you're brand That's new. earnest money. Yeah, non-refundable with no inspection contingency. Mm-hmm. So like if you have to be willing to, like we get it down a lot. Like usually we do like 1,000, 2,000, 5, even 5,000. That's a lot, you know, right. on a house. You don't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You got to put that deposit down. And then another thing is that the seller's attorney a lot of time will put in the contract that it's not assignable. Mm-hmm. So then you have to double close, which you can do in New York with the unbuyer's money. So that doesn't really matter. But it's just, and then you have a buyer's attorney. Mm-hmm. So like a typical New York deal, a seller has an attorney and then there's a seller. The wholesaler has an attorney and there's a wholesaler. The buyer has an attorney, there's a buyer. The hard money lender has an attorney and then there's a hard money lender. <laughs> so there could be eight people. I remember there was a deal, this was like two years ago. I actually went to the closing and the end buyer had the attorney with him. They were sitting next to each other. The lender was there without the attorney. No, the lender's attorney was there without the lender. And then the seller's attorney gave me the key because he thought I was buying the house, which I technically was. I double closed. And then I took the key and passed it across the table. Mm-hmm. And he goes, did you just flip this? I said, yep. And he's like, oh, all right. Yeah. Sounds like a plan to me. So everyone has an attorney. So it just makes the whole process very long, very complicated. And there's a real barrier to entry there. So that's why a lot of new people have a difficult time mm-hmm. because they will get a seller to accept their offer that might be a good offer, but then they got to put 15 grand down and right. they don't have it. So that's uh, the problem. We had uh, an episode part in the disruption where RJ Bates got pissed, right? We're talking about attorneys and how they're useless. And he Usually basically talked about how like it was a scenario, right? Seller has an attorney, buyer's attorney, he the wholesaler has his own attorney. Yeah. And the situation was basically um, one of the attorneys wanted to do, wanted to redline and rewrite a certain language, mm-hmm. but he'd only do it as a word doc. And the other attorney is like, I don't send word docs. I only send PDFs because I don't want anyone messing with my stuff. Happens in New York. Right? Yep. So he's like, they were at an impasse. Where was the deal? I don't know. I just know New York. Okay. Right? Somewhere in probably the city. But yeah. legit, this was an impasse yeah. to a deal getting done. Yeah. Because one attorney only sends PDFs and the only attorney only receives word docs. I believe it. Like this is that's what happens in New York. That's why people that's why people don't like doing business there is because you could have a six figure deal and the attorney could say, Oh, this guy wants an assignment contract. Because the problem is you get an offer accepted and then you can't lock the deal up on the spot. So mm-hmm. the seller could change their mind, but a lot of the times the problem, and thankfully, I say a lot of the times, happens maybe one out of ten deals. The seller, I remember we had a deal where we would have made a fortune on this thing. The seller accepted our offer. We went to go lock it up, and the attorney's like, dude. You can't sell this house for that price. Mm-hmm. He listed it and made another hundred grand. Mm-hmm. So it's like it is what it is. It's just the cost of doing business. But right. that's the big problem in New York. Is like sometimes sometimes the attorney will kill the deal before mm-hmm. you even have a deal. In some ways, they're worse than realtors. Yeah, for sure, because they think they know, and a lot of them do know a lot. But the bad ones think they know a lot, mm-hmm. and then they give their client bad advice that really will not help them, mm-hmm. and then the client ends up suffering. Right. Right. So it's like we had a deal. We had to really massage the attorney on. And, you know, we finally were like, we're going to put seven grand down. Mm-hmm. It's the most we're putting down. We are flipping the property. We already have a buyer. And the seller was like, I'm just going to tell my attorney, like, whatever you guys want to do is cool. So if you get the seller on your side, usually they'll just say, listen, I spoke to the buyer. We're good. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll put yeah. seven grand down, which is a lot. Yeah. So New York, it's wonderful. But the spreads, I will say the average profit in New York, even if you're wholesaling is like mm. 30 grand. Yeah. Like that's a normal wholesale. Like if you're making a wholesale deal less than 30 grand, it's like weird because it's, it's so expensive there. Like the average price is like 500 K. So to make 30 K is not hard. Yeah. Right. So that does make up for the, you know, the difficulties with the attorney. And the other thing about New York I love is that 
when you have a deal in contract, like it's so hard to get into contract, it's impossible to get a contract. If the seller changes their mind, you sue them for the list pendants on the property and like mm -hmm. you're gonna win every time. Yeah. Like a lot of the stuff out here, it's like you gotta put a memorandum on there and then the title company might not acknowledge it. So in New right. York, when you do have a deal, it's guaranteed it's gonna close. Uh, one thing that's interesting, uh, so we had another guy out there and he was locking up contracts left and right in, uh, I think Buffalo? That's, yeah, that's like eight hours from where? Right. City. I believe it was Buffalo. Um, and uh, no, it was Rochester. Roch okay. Yeah, it's near Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. He was locking up deals left and right. And like it took six months to, for these things to clear title. Yeah. 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 It's the municipals usually. So there's a municipal search in New York, which mm -hmm. is, this is where New York, it's very complicated, but there's a lot of towns in New York. Mm -hmm. And then in those towns, there's villages. And in those villages, there's hamlets. So basically, like we're dealing with this now. We're doing a wholesale deal in like the New York City area, and the inspector has to come to the property and walk the entire property before they issue like a no violation certificate. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these homeowners are selling at a discount because there's violations up the wazoo. Right. So you know you get flagged with a violation, and then either the seller has to fix it or you as the investor has to fix it, and that's what causes a lot of these deals to take a long time. Yeah. It's like there's an open permit for a deck, there's an open permit for a roof, there's an open permit for you know a boiler that wasn't installed yeah. right, and then that's a title issue in New York because that's in like one of the sections in the contract. Yeah. So it just causes these deals, like a quick wholesale deal is like three months. Well, and that's the thing that was, I was looking at is like, they reach out to us yeah. because they have financial problems. Yes. That needs to be fixed quickly. Y yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they get in contract and it just takes forever. And then the attorneys kind of like do whatever they want. Yeah, they're, and they're on their own schedule. So it's, it is a, you know, another thing too in New York is, I think the quickest deal I ever did was like 30 days, which is like, a unicorn mm -hmm. but a lot of the sellers too at least in westchester they kind of know their house isn't like super liquid in terms of like oh i'll get the cash in two weeks they kind of know like a quick deal probably a month and a half mm -hmm. of like normal deals like two months but yeah. i mean it's better than i guess listing it because then it's like two months plus the buyer plus the mortgage contingency so yeah it's it's all crazy that's a tough market man yeah so you started with this seminar yeah you go do this with your buddy. Your buddy stick along for the ride? He's very successful. Devin King, I'll give him a shout out. Yeah. Very successful. Alongside you or separately? Separately. Separately. So we like, we're going to be partners in the beginning. We we're super young and green. And then mm -hmm. like, you know, he was flipping quads, doing well. I had no other income stream. So our work ethics were a little different in the beginning. He mm -hmm. didn't need it to work as bad as I did. When you say flipping quads, you mean the vehicle, not quad flexes. Yeah, yeah, like flipping <laughs> ATVs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was buying and selling those, doing well. So like the real estate was really hard mm -hmm. in the beginning at least. So like, he was like, eh, maybe I won't work as hard now because mm -hmm. he was still making money flipping quads. And then I was like, dude, I need this to work. So mm -hmm. eventually like, we're like, hey, let's just do this on our own and we'll just collaborate. And yeah. we've done JV deals and whatnot. And gotcha. Done some rehabs together. So you go from New York to Texas. Yep. To San Diego. Yeah. Did you do business in San Diego? I've done probably like five deals in San Diego. Five deals in San Diego. Yeah. And Just then, like by living there, I was like, let me just, you know. You've done Nevada, you've done Delaware. Delaware. I mean, I how many deal in Arizona? This is a random like one-off deal. I mean, yeah. I mean, are you nationwide? No, like, what is no. your model? Most of our most of our business is in New York and Delaware. Okay. That's like the core business. So like Brett Generelli, my acquisitions guy, big shout out to Brett. Mm -hmm. He moved to Delaware. And I didn't really want to do business there because I'm like, why are we gonna do it? Like we're doing this in New York. Cause like at, once I got the business established in Texas and I had like cash coming in, I was able to save a lot of that money and then reinvest it into real marketing in New York. And I mm -hmm. knew there was like a higher barrier to entry. So eventually like that vacant house thing in Texas kind of dried up because there was only so many of those people, mm -hmm. but I had money now to market in New York and I knew that area because I grew up there. 
So we were doing a lot of deals in New York and then he moved to Delaware and he's like, maybe we should do some deals down here. I'm like, ah, is that a distraction? I don't know about that. So we started marketing in Delaware just because he was living there. He can go on appointments. Mm -hmm. And it took us a while. I did a flip. I broke even on it. I paid way too much for it. That's a different story. So I was like, oh, dude, I don't think this makes sense. Like we're, yeah. you know, we're kind of spreading ourselves too thin here. We got to learn a new market. We got a deal like the next week, made like 15 grand, closed in a week and a half because in Delaware, there's no BS with the attorneys. So we <laughs> made 15K like out of thin air. And I was like, all right, let's keep doing marketing. So then we started doing some PPC, did a 35K deal, closed it in like three weeks. And I was like, wait a minute we can use this Delaware market as a way to kind of keep our cash flow consistent because you can close a deal in Delaware if there's no title issues in a week, if you mm -hmm. really had to. And then he was there. So I'm like, all right, because you live there and because it's a lot easier to transact down here, let's do Delaware and keep that consistent. But we also got to keep our New York market like yeah. dialed in because that's where a lot of the big spreads are. Um, so it's really two markets. It's not like I'm nationwide. So you don't do, you don't do any deals in, in, in Reno? Not yet. I've, been, I've spent 35 grand in marketing so far and I've not gotten a thing. Gotcha. Thank God we're in New York and Delaware. <laughs> I will get deals in Reno. It will just take some time. So Delaware is where you're getting consistent business. Yes. More volume in Delaware. More now. volume. Yeah. And New York is where you're doing big bigger spreads. deals. Yes. So what's a big spread? Like what's, what is your typical spread and what's your largest spread? Largest spread ever was 135000 Okay. Net. And yeah. then the typical like wholesale deal in Delaware is like 20000 mm -hmm. Typical wholesale deal in New York is like thirty to forty. Right. Yeah. And a rehab is like 50. So knowing that, I'm, I'm just looking at this as a return and effort. Yeah. Why not go all, what's the reason for not going all in in Delaware if the fee sizes are different, Yeah. but one requires a lot more handholding or babysitting? So in New York, we have a lot of like old leads mm -hmm. that we follow up with. So we have a lot of just like data and like all this marketing effort from the years before that we can mm -hmm. follow up with. And in New York, Believe it or not, there's not that much competition compared to Phoenix. Mm -hmm. So, like, I, I know totally the I mean, direct I mean, mail there is super juicy because, right. like, there's not a ton. I mean, there's people sending mail, but it's not like, hey, I got 10 postcards. Like, that yeah. doesn't happen. You may be competing with one person. Yeah. So, just like the barrier to entry, I know the area super well. I grew up there. Like, I, if we get a, like an address, like, I know what the ARV is in two seconds. Yeah. I have good contract. Like, the contractors in Delaware are a disaster so far for me. So the wholesaling is great, mm -hmm. but we've done some rehabs down there and took a big bath on a house on a, like a, it was a Philly area, but that's like the same kind of market as mm -hmm. Delaware. And then we did another rehab we did pretty well on, but just the contractor was a disaster. New York, I have like three contractors that are really good mm -hmm. and I know them, they know me, I show face there enough. So it's just like a better system if we're going to do rehabs in New York, just because sure. of the contractors. So Delaware, we got to get the contractor thing fixed and gotcha. go from there. So, and then you're doing this predominantly virtually. Yeah. So talk to me about running a, a virtual business. Yeah, I mean, that's that's been a huge learning curve, you know, up to this day. It's mm -hmm. it's the, the biggest issue, I'll say, with like a virtual team is you're not in the office, right? So like everyone has to be self-motivated to do their own work on their own because I can't like just walk into someone's office and be like, hey, did you do this? Like just, you know, they're on their own, right? right. So thankfully I have a good team that is very accountable. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing is like when you're not, in that, and it's like harder to build like the team camaraderie a little bit because you're yeah. not in the same office. Right. Second thing with virtual from like a tactical thing is you're locking deals up over the phone and you don't really know what you're getting sometimes. Mm -hmm. So a lot of sellers will tell you that the house is X, Y, Z, and then you lock it up based on that. And then, you know, you get the pictures and it's like nothing like they said. So then you're like, well, you told me X, you're really giving me Y. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do about this? Right. Right. And you got to get into the sales at that point and be like, hey, like, what should we do about this? Like mm -hmm. you said it needed this and it really needs that. 
So there right. is an issue with over the phone. Like you're, you just, you can't put your eyes on it sometimes. Like we, a lot of times we'll have someone walk it beforehand, mm -hmm. but if we can't do that, you know, you're going off the seller's word and um, that can cause issues sometimes. Is there a situation where you typically just assume it's one step, one notch worse than what they're saying? That's what we do now. Like in 2023, like this year, like we've made some big mistakes with that, like mm -hmm. buying deals that we probably shouldn't have because of the numbers. Mm -hmm. And now like, I, if they say the house is really bad, I assume it's really, really bad. Yeah. Like if they, if I'm thinking the rehab's 80, I'm going to assume it's a hundred. Yeah. Right. Because like, if I'm not there, like if it's a hundred, great. That's what I thought. If it's less than a hundred, then that's all, right. that's all just like found money. Yeah. Cause it's, it's amazing. Like a person that lives in a house in deferred maintenance. Oh yeah. 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 Um, they think it's fine. Cause that's their standard. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had that happen this morning, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. right. But for you, you're like, you said it was an alright condition or it was livable. It's like this is not livable by any stretch of the imagination. But they get used to it. They, it's just they're that's what they're used to. Yeah. There was a house this morning. A buyer walked in New York, yeah. and there was like spray painted graffiti with devils on the wall, like devils with horns, and like no sheetrock, mm. like just complete just squalor. And they're living there, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. So that's an that's a scenario where like you'd think it's a vacant house if you drove by, but then you see the power bills in their name and it's on and they're living there and you're like, wow. Right. Right. But like that house is 150K rehab at least. Right. It needs everything. So yeah, that's a challenge with virtual. And then, you know, the third thing is just doing rehabs virtually. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, even though in New York we have good contractors, like, you know, you're not there. You're not walking the job site. Like, so I really rely on the realtors who sell the deals. Mm -hmm to be like my boots on the ground with that. They deal with the contractor, they deal with the permits because I'm not, and even if I lived in New York, I really don't like going to houses, which yeah. is funny. Like I don't like going. It's just like to drive there, you drive back, walk there. It's like, I just feel like it's not the best use of time. So you have to get really good at getting like a good realtor on your team to mm -hmm. sell your deals because they really can add a ton of value. Do you have, do you equip the realtors with a checklist that you guys use? Yeah, the scope of work. We okay. give them the scope of work and we give the contract. Like we make every contractor sign a scope of work. Mm -hmm. And it's just clear, like how you're getting paid, what's getting done, what the timeline is, what the budget is, what the penalty is. If you don't finish on time, we usually have a little reward if they finish before time. Mm -hmm. And like that's documented, it's signed, and then we give it to everybody. Mm -hmm. So we know like this is the plan here. And then if there's hiccups, you know, we deal with them as they come. So let's dive deeper into that. So scope of work. Um Let's talk about the initial scope of work. Yeah. Who comes up with the scope of work? Me. How are you coming up with the scope of work? Pictures in a video walkthrough. Okay. Yeah. So you have the pictures in a video walkthrough from someone else's boots on the ground or from the homeowner? Either from the realtor who's going to get the listing on the back end okay. or the contractor. Okay. Homeowner would be great, but some of these sellers, they're, they're not sending you pictures. <laughs> yeah. They can barely or, get on their email account. They, or they might be selective in their photos. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Jesus. Okay. So let's just say the realtor contractor. Yeah. So they walk through, they take a bunch of photos and do a video walkthrough. Ton. Yeah. And from that, you create the scope of work. I create the scope of work because I'll go through that whole, I like the video at the end because I can like literally just pause it and I'll go through and I'll say, all right. And the first thing I do is, are we going to gut renovate this house or are we going to like do like a paint and polish kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Because if it's like a decent condition, maybe it just smells like cigarette smoke or something. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go crazy. Like I'll keep the cabinets usually. I'll put new appliances in. So I just go through like the whole house room by room and see like, what do we need to do to get it to the number that we want to sell it for? Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of times like people go crazy over ARV. Most of the comps are not ARV. They're as is. It's like mm -hmm. the novation model. It's like right. you just got to get the house comparable to where you want to sell it at. And it doesn't need to be this crazy like gut renovated number a lot of the time. Right. 
So I go through that. Okay, so you create the scope of work. I'm assuming you have some sort of PDF or Excel sheet or something that you just kind of like. Yeah, click. I use a Google sheet. Yeah. Yeah, I just go through the item and then the cost. Right. So you got the scope of work. Yep. And you hand it off to the contractor. Yeah. And then he gives you a bid off. Bid yeah. off of it. Well, he gives like basically I give him the scope of work and that's after he's seen the house and I kind of know his price generally speaking, mm -hmm. but I like to take the contractor's price and itemize it out. Mm -hmm. Cuz if he says 50 grand, I need to know what is oh, yeah. yeah, like I need to itemize the whole thing out so then he knows like the most important thing is like how much money is he getting to start and then how is he going to get paid next, right? So like you're going to get 5 grand to start to demo and then after you demo, you start drywalling and then you're going to get your next installment because a lot of like rehabbers or new rehabbers, the experienced ones don't do this. They'll just give the contractor like 25 K and you know, you might not hear from him again. Yeah. So you got to keep them motivated to keep coming back to you to get paid. Right. That's where I, and I've made that mistake in the past, like just giving too much money up front and then like they're just taking their time or they leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, I haven't, I haven't had to deal with them leaving. Uh, there's a lot of nightmare stories about that. I've had plenty yeah. of nightmares. They're like, so when you go back to the property, oh, it's terrible, especially with, when you're not there, right? Yeah. I'm not even there. I can't just chase them around. I'm yeah. like, hey, dude, like you gotta finish this job. You got 25k for me. So now they're are they sending updated photos and videos yeah. to get draws? So the contractor or the realtor will send me pictures of the work and the mm -hmm. progress, and then once I verify that, I'll send him the, the you send him more money. Yeah, right. Dollar wire. Uh, talk to me about the the language for reward or penalty. Yeah. For, for timeliness. So like if they finish like a week early or something, you maybe give them an extra five hundred or a thousand dollars. But like with the penalty stuff, if they like it's just clear, it's like a clear document. It's super easy to read. It's like if you don't finish the job based on what we talked about, not new stuff that may have came up after the fact, you're gonna get, you know, a five hundred dollar per week penalty. So mm -hmm. then like you have an incentive to keep it on track. Because a right. lot of these guys, if you pay them up front, they don't have an incentive to really deliver that product on a on like a good timeline. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're just paying them in little dribbles, they're going to be more motivated to get it done by that deadline. Because if yeah. they sign that document and it's like, yeah, if the job isn't completed by like, you know, December 20th, $500 a day or a week, usually a week, a day mm -hmm. would be crazy. Yeah. But um, that just keeps them accountable. And then like a lot of the times too, it's like if you give them a scope of work and it's a clear document and they're like, I don't think I could do this in that timeline. Before you sign it, you can, you know, negotiate mm -hmm. and maybe get a lower price or extend it out. But you just get the contractor set up to where you're hoping their success. Like you're, you're hoping that they're going to follow that document. And the ones in New York generally do. Mm -hmm. Delaware, that's been a different story. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Maybe something in the water down there. What's, what, I mean, what is happening in Delaware? So bad realtor, which we won't get into, that was a problem with a bad communication with buyers. So that we solved that over the summer, but that was a nightmare. And then the contractor was very like, motivated to get the job and I would pay him in dribbles, but the quality of work wasn't good. And Brett and I didn't do a good enough job because he's local, really verifying it because we thought it was just going to be like New York. So like we did a rehab in Delaware County, PA, which is right near the state of Delaware. Mm. And like the stove wasn't plugged in. The whole house looked like crap. All like the little nooks and crannies were like, it just looked horrible mm -hmm. and it didn't sell. And yeah. I was like, man, like this product we put out was garbage. And no one really checked to see what was going on here. And no wonder we're, we're having a hard time selling. We all sell it for a $20,000 loss. So do you guys have uh, things in place where like, because what we've had to do um, just because we don't want to be a, a burden on our finance, finance person. Yeah. Was like, you had to submit the invoices by Monday if you want to get paid on Friday. 
We don't do that. I just, whenever I get the picture, like I deal with that myself. Like mm -hmm. when I get the pictures and the videos that show the updated jobs and the realtor's like, hey, this looks good. Mm -hmm. I'll just pay him a wire yeah. or a Zelle. Okay. But I only do that after I see the pictures. Right. And he knows that. Like the New York guy knows that. Like he, he knows I pay fast mm -hmm. when you do the work. Yeah. Right? Like I'll pay him the same day, but you got to have that work done. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I know you said you didn't want to get into it, but crappy realtor was. <laughs> just a bit. Well, the, the first time, there's multiple multiple offenses here but you know we had a deal i'm not going to mention any names obviously but we had a deal to protect the public yes exactly but we had a house and we didn't do a full-blown rehab because we didn't need to because we were like if we sell it at this price we don't need to gut renovate it mm. not, not necessary put it on the market priced accordingly got a buyer right away and the buyer was just dragging us through the mud mm. and i was like the realtor i'm like listen dude like this buyer's gonna keep asking for this crap i'll pull the deal I don't need to sell. Like we took it over sub two. So mm -hmm. we had like cheap debt on it. And I was mm -hmm. like, all right, like whatever. Buyer keeps asking for more requests. I'm like, some of the stuff was reasonable. Some of it was unreasonable. I did all the reasonable stuff. And then I was in Japan this summer. I got a call saying the buyer backed out mm -hmm. and they had no like inspect, like there was no contingencies or anything. The whole deal blew up over the communication. And I'm like, man, we, we could have prevented this like easily two or three weeks ago. Like I kept saying like, if they don't want to buy it, like I'll give them their deposit back. They can walk. I'll sell it to someone else. Mm -hmm. They killed the deal. I'm in Japan. I'm all pissed off. I'm like, this is a waste of my time. And at that price, we were going to make like 25 grand or something. So it was like decent profit, but a lot of work and a lot of drama. So that deal dies. I'm pissed off. I'm like holding their deposit hostage now. I'm like, they're not getting this deposit back. Mm -hmm. And like, they got an attorney. They were trying to sue. You know, How much something? was the deposit? Like five grand. Nothing okay. crazy. But I was yeah. like, yeah, I'll prove a point. Mm -hmm. So Principles. I, exactly. So I told the realtor, I said, hey, it's all good, but I got to get you off this listing. So we got the paperwork squared away where they were no longer obligated to sell my house. Got another realtor involved, sold it in a weekend, no BS, no, like this. And the thing is this other realtor told Brett, because Brett lives there, what the little things we have to do to get the thing to sell like two seconds without mm -hmm. any resistance. We did those things. It was like three or four grand, yeah. sell the property, got a better number. We ended up netting 47,000 and closed in three weeks. Mm -hmm. And we set the expectations right, yeah. right? And I was just like, wow. Like the point was like, when you have a good team, mm -hmm. like realty team, it's so much easier to sell those properties. But when you have a bad realty team, you can think you're making all this money. You can like, oh my God, I'm going to make whatever. And the whole deal could blow up. Right. So it was just a poor execution on the first deal. And once we learned that lesson, now we don't do that anymore. We have so someone right now, okay, first of all, I'm just thinking like you're flipping virtually. Yeah. Not a lot of people flip virtually. Yeah. A lot of people wholesale virtually. Yeah. Now, Wholesaling flip. virtually is much easier. Yeah. So you yeah. like to flip virtually which is a whole different thing. Yes. But you learn lessons in vetting the realtors. Yeah. So now that you know these lessons, what should our listeners be doing to vet realtors before they hire one? Yeah. You got to make sure that they sell a lot of homes locally, right? The one, first one I found, that was not the case necessarily. Mm -hmm. Like they definitely knew what they were doing in terms of like volume, but they just, they didn't, they weren't around that long. They were kind of new, but, mm -hmm. but they still did a decent amount of business. But the, yeah. the, uh, the main thing you want to look for is how much experience do they have? Are they selling a lot of local homes? Like you can go on Zillow and just see like all the homes that sold. And if there's like a trend on them, maybe there's like two or three realtors that really sell most of those yeah. houses. So that's the first thing you got to look for. The second thing is you got to have the realtor tell you the truth. Like you don't want the realtor like, oh yeah, this will sell at this price. No problem. Like you don't have to do anything. And then like you get disappointed down the line because like that's not the case. And the overpromise so, under deliver. Yeah. The second realtor we worked with was like, hey, you got to do these things. And if you do these things, I know you probably don't want to do these things because- you know, who wants to spend more money after you've already spent a considerable amount? Mm -hmm. 
But if you do these things, you're going to be able to get this thing sold at this number, most likely. And like, they're kind of like, what do they call Under promise, over deliver. Mm -hmm. It's having the realtor set the right expectations with you, right? Yeah. And because it's easy for a realtor to say like, oh, it'll sell at this price. Because if it doesn't sell at that price, they're not the one writing the interest check. Right. But the good realtors want to move inventory quick and they just want to do volume. And they're not going to take a listing that's kind of like either really screwed up, that's going to need work after the fact, or they're telling you a price that's just not realistic. So yeah, unfortunately, yeah. there are a lot of those out there. Um, yeah. So I know we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, millionaire uh, in seven years but before we get to there. Um, so how I first heard about you <laughs> was not as a wholesaler. No, no. Right. I know where this is going. Yeah. The very first time I heard about you was you were the advanced sales coach yes. in the Midwest Revenue Group? What REI Sales Academy. REI Sales Academy. Yeah. Right. So you go to one of John's events. Yep. And once you finish this event, there's another level. Yep. Upsell in some way. Yep. Right. And in that upsell, you got to work with Greg. Yes. Right. And Greg was more of the, the way it was explained to me. Yeah. Was like more of the corporate, not corporate, but more of the, if you're running a sales team. Yeah. Right. So you go to John's event. It's more for the masses. Yeah. If you're learning how to wholesale, you're getting into this business. Okay. You, got, you go to John. But now that you've experienced John and you're ready for next level training, you go to Greg. Yeah. So talk to me about yeah. how you got into that position at such, I mean, you're 28 today. Yeah. I was like 23, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I heard about I this five years that. ago. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I had no facial hair or anything, no bags <laughs> under my eyes. Yeah. yeah. God. So talk to me how you got into that position. That's got to yeah. be an interesting story. That was an interesting story. So yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. So basically, one of the problems I had in the beginning was obviously no money, no experience, but I did not know how to sell formulaically. Mm -hmm. I was like just going on appointments, winging it. I remember I got kicked out of this guy's house one time. Yeah, kicked out? got kicked out of the house. All right, okay, so before we continue. Why'd you get kicked out of the house? Yeah, so Pearl River, New York, it was like November, <laughs> God knows how long ago. And I remember the guy was in pre-foreclosure, called off a bandit sign. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, I didn't know what a deal was. I'm like, this is a deal. It's got to be a deal. Yeah. I brought my mentor, Frank Sanchez, with me. I'm like, why don't we do this? You come on this appointment with me. I'll wholesale it to you directly. Just watch me get the deal on, like, with the seller like accepted because he can't sign contracts in New York. Yeah. Go to this guy's house. He's in his pajamas. He's like waiting for me by the door. I walk around the house. He's just pissed off. I had no idea what I was doing, just winging it. Pissed off at you or pissed off at him? Pissed situation? off at me, pissed off at the situation. It's like 12 o'clock. He's in his pajamas, you know, just pissed off guy. And these, this is like an area where like there's a lot of just angry people in like Pearl River, <laughs> Rockham County. So it's like expensive. Okay. So I remember we walked the house and I'm trying to like ask him why he's like, I just didn't know what I was doing. I had no system in place. Mm. And I remember I went to go sit down to like pitch the offer. And I sat down and he was standing up above me like this, like looking at me. And then once I got a couple words, he's like, just get out of here. Just get out of here right now. Like, I don't need this. This is a waste of my time. He just kicked me out of the house. I walked out of the house and I was like, Frank, I'm sorry, man. I don't know what the hell's going on here. Yeah. And I sat in my car and I was like, I need to learn how to sell because I have no system in place now. Yeah. When that's going or right after that, I remember I went on Facebook and I saw well, this. Hang on, like, what did Frank say? Frank was like, ah, man, it is what it is, man. Okay. You're not going to get every house. But I'm just, I just didn't, I just didn't feel comfortable not knowing what I was doing because I would You get didn't, it. but did he have like, here's what you did wrong? Or he was like, this is- He was just like, hey, man, it's all good. Like he didn't want to, like, he knew I was pissed off. I was like really like just kind of like embarrassed about it. But yeah. anyway, so I'm in my car and I'm just like, I need to figure out how to sell. Like mm -hmm. there's, there's got to be a way to do this that works. Right. And I think even the truth is he probably was an unqualified lead that was never going to sell, but I had no idea even, I didn't even know how to identify that. Yeah, you can't filter yet. Yeah, I had no idea. Like, I probably would have DQ'd him on the phone or something. Mm. So anyway, I'm in my car, come back home, and I'm like, I'm on Facebook, and I see, like, this real estate investing 
sales training with like mm. niche of a niche product. Right. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, mm -hmm. I didn't know that existed. So then yeah. I look into it. I watch some YouTube videos. I buy his training, John's mm. training at the time. Right. He's sold with Jerry ever since. And I joined the training and I'm like, I'm going to do everything this guy says to do. Like mm. I needed to learn how to sell. That was like the skill I needed to fill. Like right. that was my pain point because I knew how to get leads at that point. Mm -hmm. And I remember I joined his training. It was online training and I did everything he said to do. And I remember he used to give his Voxer access. So I'd mm -hmm. Voxer him like three times a day, like yeah. with scenarios. Cause I was like taking it seriously. I would study, I'd listen to my calls. I'd record my calls. I'd write notes down. I'd go on appointments and I would just like immerse myself in this. Mm -hmm. And then John, you know, he would do these live calls and a lot of people would be on them, but no one would want to volunteer. Like I would want to volunteer and like ask him questions. And like, there was like, you know, 50 people on these calls and I kept volunteering. Like this young kid in New York, like who barely had a business at the time. Mm -hmm. And I kept volunteering and people would, you know, be like, oh, this guy, Greg keeps contributing. And then John started to realize that. Mm -hmm. And then after some time of doing that, he's like, hey man, it seems like, you know, you understand this stuff pretty well. And, and I was also buying more houses because I, you know, was You're using, using the sales training, yeah. right? Right. I was DQing people and I was getting better deals. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, would you ever want to work together? And I was like, uh, maybe like I, been in this training for like six months. Like I'm, you know, I'm starting to build my business, man. And he's yeah. like, yeah, I know, but I, I get a lot of people who reach out to me and they want like more training and I don't really want to do it. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I just would rather have you do it. And I'm like, hey, I could, I'm just getting started, you know? Yeah. But anyway, long story short, he was like, what if we launch this like sales management training mm -hmm. where, you know, people pay us, you know, a monthly fee. We train their sales teams. We listen to their calls. They just get like the material kind of like more customized to their needs. Mm -hmm. So like, he's like, I'll get the clients and we'll like do like a split of the revenue. Mm -hmm. And like, I was like, okay, sure, man, like, let's do it. And then like, he got like three clients right away. These are like big investors. I think mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, Ren was there, like a lot of these like big invest, Eric Brewer. Yeah. And I was like training their sales team. as like, you know, a fairly new guy. Yeah. And I like, by doing that, like I got really good at the sales training. Of course. And then I was like, you know, you learn a lot when you teach. So then I became like the go-to sales trainer guy, like kind of like out of my butt, honestly. <laughs> and, you know, I started helping them and like mm -hmm. they were getting more deals and like they were like boxering me being like, hey, I did what you told me. I got this contract. And mm -hmm. what do I do with a seller? And I was like helping them. And then I was helping myself. And it just became like Greg is John Martinez's protege. Mm -hmm. And then it got me in a lot of rooms that I probably wouldn't have been able to, wouldn't have been able to get into. Right. And I was still super young, right? And yeah. I was still building my business. So that's how I got involved with that. It's just, it's fascinating to imagine, right? Because you got Eric Brewer up here. Yeah. You got Ren Bartlett up here. Yeah, yeah. Right? But they weren't up here Yeah, when you were started working with them. No. Right? So, like, you were part of their journey. Yeah. They were part of your journey. Yeah. Right? And, like, we've all gone these different directions. Yep. But it's just funny it's to think, like. crazy, man. See what they've accomplished. And, like, you were involved in helping their team build out their. Their sales process. Yeah. yeah. It, it is crazy because I remember like the first time I did a one-on-one -on -one sales call, mm -hmm. I was so nervous. It was a Zoom <laughs> call. I remember I moved. No, I don't even know if I was in California. No, I wasn't even in California then. I was like, there was like seven people on a Zoom, like the whole sales team, the owners, and it's me. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to be on the thing for an hour and I need to make sure I add a lot of value. Mm -hmm. And I was nervous. And then I obviously got used to it and I understood it and I, I had a system for it, right? right? So like eventually that wore off and I wasn't mm -hmm. nervous, but I was just like, terrified because I was like so still kind of new at the time and for people to pay me to like sales train them even though I probably knew more than them like the 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 teams or whatever but I was just it was just like a weird experience and it got me super super uncomfortable but like yeah. once I got used to it I knew how much I could help them and it really helped me in my business like I got to give a shout out to like the sales academy or whatever because yeah. like that got me in rooms and it got me known through 
being associated with that. Mm. And that really helped me. Well, like I said, that's yeah. how I got to know you. Yeah, right? that's how you, yeah. Right? So when crazy, I saw man. you as a case study, I was like, oh, that's cool, because I know Greg. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's um, a helpful thing. And yeah, just the best way to learn something is to teach it. Is to teach it, man. And have, and have yourself get picked apart or yes. have them question you. Yeah. You know, because there's a couple things here that resonate for me, right? So like I've said, like I, I've had an incredible blessing, you know, being the sales trainer in, in CG, right? That's yeah, amazing. Uh, having the best in the country question you yeah and having to come up with a good answer really forces you yeah to level up and the other thing too you're talking about you're always raising your hand like who's this kid in new york who keeps asking questions right yeah i've always been that guy doesn't matter what room it is anyone have any questions yeah like you know anyone want to volunteer like i'm always the guy and the worst part for me is i do the same thing in kung fu right and so like there are times where i get slapped in the face yeah whatever you know swollen lip (laughs) but it's like i want to learn like, I will be the dummy for everyone else if it makes me better faster. Exactly, man. And that's how I was able to get good at selling and negotiating is mm-hmm. literally by, like, being the sales trainer and, like, just having to learn it by force. Right. Right? And, like, just once – when you and when you do a lot of those calls, like, mm-hmm. you start to really figure out what works and yeah. what doesn't work. And I remember, like, after doing that for a couple of years, I was like, I can help anybody who has leads mm-hmm. and a sales problem. Like, I right. know what their issue usually is. Mm-hmm. And because I had all that experience, like stacked up in a short period of time, right. I was like, I had a lot of confidence and that gave me a lot of confidence. So now when I train Brett, like mm-hmm. he's getting all that free basically. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, cause he's had all that knowledge and experience compounded and compressed. Yeah. And now I, you know, was able to help him and he's, you know, been tremendously successful working with us. So right. that was, I always like forget it. Oh, one more thing. I forgot to mention this. Yeah. The real way it got big was I would take my recordings and put them in the Facebook group. Ah. And then, People were like, this guy's putting his own calls out in the public to get scrutinized, mm-hmm. and no one was doing that. Yeah. That's what really like, got John's super attention. Yeah. So, having been in this game for a while now, yeah. do you know what it is about you that is willing to put yourself out there? Because there's only a handful of people that will do that, right? I yeah. would put myself in that category where yeah. I'm willing to put myself out yeah, there to be just... torn apart, right? Have you figured out what it is, like whether it's PI, disc, MyBrick, whatever yeah. it is? Because like that is, I would say, one of the things that if you can find someone who's willing to be vulnerable to get torn apart, yeah, will get better faster. Yep. So if you can hire guys like that, yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah, really, yeah. So do you know what it is? Because I think that is a magic. Uh, that, that's like a yeah magic ingredient. Yeah. For success, I think it's it's understanding fear. Like, mm-hmm. and I just was not scared to have people think I might've sucked at sales back in the day, because I yeah. knew that like, if I put myself out there, the, up, well, and it's, it's fear, but then it's looking at the upside and then the downside and comparing the two. Like mm-hmm. the upside is I'm gonna get way better. I'm gonna, people are gonna know who I am. People are gonna be able to give me feedback. The downside is someone might think I'm a clown. I don't, I know I'm a clown, right? Yeah. Like I, I know I'm a, I'm a knucklehead. So yeah. worst are, case is they, they already think what is probably true, yeah. right? So like, it just never bothered me. Like I was mm-hmm. like, what's the worst thing that happened? Someone's gonna think, oh, he sucks at selling. Like whatever. Yeah. Maybe that's the case. How do I get better? Right? Like, how right. do I get better? So I never really let it like the fear never really got to me. Cause I knew there was so much more upside than downside. Mm-hmm. And then I think also like when I was playing hockey, you know, before I got into real estate, I was getting bullied a lot. I was a New Yorker in Boston. Everyone thought I sucked, which I kind of did. So like, I was kind of used to like getting resistance and having people kind of like mm-hmm. give me crap. So like when I got into real estate, like just, I was just desensitized to it. Right. Like, I just never really like let it bother me. Like getting rejected by a seller just never took it personal. Do you know what pro- profile you are on the predictive index? Strategist. Strategist. Yeah. So high A, low B. 
Yeah. Lower B, not necessarily low B. What is a strategist? I took that like a year ago. What, what is uh, that? A strategist is someone that is uh, generally independent, wants to win, strong ego. Yeah. Right? So rejection is not a problem. Yeah. Right? But there are a lot of people with high A's that that's not enough to, yeah. to put themselves out there. Uh, lower B, which is um, don't have a lot of requirement for social approval. Right? Sounds like me. Uh, but then the other thing is a very low C, which means you're driving for results now. Yeah. Not the most understanding person on the planet. <laughs> right? Like, that's the big thing. That's why Brett doesn't let me speak to half the sellers because I'm just a maniac. Like, yeah. I just don't care. Like, yeah. I care, but like, I'm so like, like, there have been sellers who are like, I will not speak to Greg. I will only speak to Brett. Yeah. Because I'm just so objective based. Yeah. So <laughs> you want results now and yeah. like, feelings aren't, aren't, aren't a consideration. Uh, your car didn't start any, this morning. Too bad, right? Like you, you were supposed to be here this time. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That is funny. So that's the, the the driving component, and then the other part with the strategist is the high D, which is the um, detail oriented. That right? is, sounds like me. So you can plan and execute, and I I know this pro profile really well because that's my wife, right? She's uh, a strategist. My wife's a strategist. Stephanie Butter is a strategist. Uh, Jason Medley, owner, uh, founder of Collective Genius, Frank Cava, like. Some of the yeah. best operators yeah. are strategists. Yeah. And it's that I want to win. I want to win now. Yeah. And here is exactly what has to happen yeah. for us to win. Yeah. Whereas I'm more like, I want to win. It doesn't really matter to me when it happens. Right. I just yeah. want to win. Yeah. Right. Like if we win next week, we win next month, we win next year. I just <laughs> want to win. Right. Yeah. Like for me, the, the time frame doesn't matter, but I'm horrible with details. So like I can understand things at a really deep level. But once I understand the details at a deep level, I don't care about the details anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with details. Yeah, but a strategist yeah. is like paying attention to all the details. And I'll give you another example. Like, uh, my wife will ask me a question. I was like, why do you even think <laughs> to think about that? But it's a valuable question. Yeah. It's just a question I would never think about because for me, it's like, you know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because I... I remember taking that test and I was like, it's, I thought I was going to be like Captain or Maverick. I mm -hmm. just, that's what I assumed. And it said strategist. And I was like, I like read through it. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. So I am like very like, like with the rehabs or with like the marketing, like numbers, like everything. I just have like systematized and tracked. Like yeah. Everything like the art, like every, just like that's, I like that. Like I really enjoy or like something I really love doing is like analyzing a deal to see what we can pay for the house. Yeah. Like taking the ARV, like just doing all like rentals. I love that. Like, mm -hmm. oh, how do I burn this thing and have none of my money in the deal? Right. I could sit in front of a spreadsheet and do that all day. Yeah. Well, I see that that's like the path to get my goal. Yeah. So strategists, yeah. generally excellent operators. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then the, I think the big thing though, going back to the other part though, was the, the high A, low B, which is I want to win. I don't care what anyone thinks. Yeah. Right. So I think it has to be a combination of that. Whereas Captain or Mavericks generally have a higher need for social approval. Mm. They're unwilling Interesting. To, to be vulnerable. Not to say that all of them, yeah. but just less willing. Versus yeah. the the low need for social approval, and I have very low low need for social approval, so I just yeah put it out there. It's like yeah, if they think I'm an idiot, like that's their. Problem. It is what it is. They already believe that. Like yeah. there's nothing I can do to change it. Right. Like, I don't need. I think as long as you believe in yourself, it sounds cheesy, but like, what do you? Unless it's like your spouse or something, you guys yeah. want them to like you, your family. But yeah, exactly. besides that, like, who cares? and that's that low need for social approval. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. You know. Uh, so you just mentioned a moment ago, burying without your own money. Yeah. So what 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 are we doing here? That is really what got me to the success level I'm at is yeah. buying and holding rental properties. Mm -hmm. I don't have a ton of them, but like the equity stack you can do in New York with like how how expensive the properties are and like getting them in a discount. So Burr without any money is basically buying a property at a wholesale price. Mm -hmm. Generally that needs work. 
doing the rehab just like you would flip the house, but instead of selling it and making a big spread, you refinance the property. Mm-hmm. You refinance it, and then you keep the property, and then you just put a renter in there mm-hmm. and keep it on the shelf. Is there anything you're doing different than like the commonly preached Burr model? Yeah, I got to give a shout out to Augie Penev, mm-hmm. Phoenix local, because hey, he, right he coached me on how to do this. So a lot of people talk about the refi as a cash out refi, mm-hmm. which is you have to wait usually six to 12 months to do that because they're going to give you cash on the refi. Mm-hmm. What he taught me, and this works way better, is you buy a property to discount, you borrow all the purchase money, you borrow all the rehab money, you borrow all the closing costs that you would need in the form of the first mortgage from a private, it has to be from a private lender. It can't be from hard money, guy's gonna give you 90%, right? Mm-hmm. So you gotta do a private lender. But instead, of, and, and obviously this is assuming you're getting a good deal at a discount that you, you can refi at 70 cent, 70% LTV, right? Mm-hmm. A little technical here. But instead of waiting six to 12 months to do that cash out refi and paying the interest and just dealing with the bank, you do a rate and term refi for what you owe on that first loan. Mm-hmm. And you could do that in a month. Like the last one I did it refied in a month after yeah. the rehab. So like you can basically keep your money moving a lot faster. You're not gonna get cash, mm-hmm. right? Cause it's not a cash out refi, but you're also gonna have no money in the deal if you buy it right, because mm-hmm. the bank just wants to make sure you're just getting your basis recoup basically. Mm-hmm. So that's what's really made the difference for us. So in terms of getting something rentals. else, might wanna bet this with an attorney, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, something else I've seen other people do is putting a second note on the property, right? So you put a second note on the property. Yeah. And a second note is another company that they own. Oh, interesting. Right. Never so it's that. like, here's the purchase money. Yeah. Here's a lien. Yeah. And then when you do the cash out, when you do the refi, it's not yeah. a cash out refi. You're it's just return. reimbursing your lien. Yeah. That converts to cash. Interesting. I might have to try that before, yeah. after I speak to an attorney. After you speak yeah. to an attorney, right? That is smart. Right. It's but, all about basically having your money move quickly. Yeah. Because right? these cash out refis take a long time. Yeah. You have to wait six months. It's no good, but you have the cash in, in there. Yeah. Then, get your money out right away. I mean, the last one I did, I think I made 10 grand, like right. like a wholesale fee, basically, because I got it so cheap. And I was like, this is crazy. I called my mortgage guy. He's like, yeah, we'll do that. I'm yeah. like, you'll do the whole thing? He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, where do I yeah. sign? It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to think, like, yeah, I think that's awesome. I like the Burr. Like I said, I've done sub two. I've done owner financing. Those are great, and they can work. But I like the Burr because it doesn't really deviate you from your core business or our core business of buying houses at wholesale prices. Mm-hmm. Just different exit strategies. Like the sub two and the owner financing can be great, but that's a whole nother business. You got to understand a lot more technical stuff and definitely great. Well, but, explain the nuances. Well, I mean, a sub two, like there's problems with insurance. You got to know how to do that. Like you got to, you know, if you're taking over the the subject two loan and then there's an the insurance part of it mm-hmm. and you get a second insurance policy to cover that, you know, if there's a claim on the property, like it, it, it can be hairy, right? Because like you might have a, you know fraudulent insurance or something. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of nuances with that. And then the seller's you know credits on the line. They're still kind of in bed with you until you get that loan paid off or sold. Mm-hmm. Owner financing, I love. I'm doing owner financing deal right now, zero percent interest. But I got to put like fifteen grand down. Mm-hmm. So like you can't really. And I could, yeah, I can get private money, sure. But like I don't want to be over leveraged. So I think creative deals are great if they're still fundamentally good deals. But mm-hmm. I see a lot of creative deals out there that are creative deals, but they don't make any sense. Yeah, if that make you know what I mean? Like it makes total sense. It's the uh, it's creative for the sake of being creative. Yeah, yeah. I just I say this all the time on Instagram. Like just because you can buy a creative deal doesn't mean you should do it. Yeah. If it makes sense from a deal perspective, sure. But just just because you can buy a deal sub two, like if the entry fee is like fifty k, like just putting fifty k in a deal is what's the cash on cash return on that? Well, How much equity do you have? You might as well get a mortgage. You might as well get a mortgage, right? <laughs> exactly. That's what I say. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of uh, 
it's um it's like the behind the back pass that's unnecessary yeah right? yeah yeah exactly like, for you me it's like go. you just see this behind the back pass it yeah. goes out of bounds like yeah a simple chest pass or bounce pass would suffice yeah right but you're being creative unnecessarily adding more risk yeah to the process exactly and another thing i'll say that i've looked at and passed on deals is like if you buy a sub two deal with no equity and there's a problem you don't really have an exit unless yeah. you're willing to write a check so like yeah. people don't look at that either like the sub two deals that i've done have always had equity and we've generally flipped them because mm -hmm. we didn't want to be in bed with the seller mm -hmm. but like i see a lot of deals like yeah the mortgage balance is 350 the house is worth you know 360 it's like i don't know about yeah. that well unfortunately there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna have to learn some lessons yes uh, like yes i agree i uh I had this property that was a rental, bought it with some friends, and I had no idea that you can do $20,000 worth of damage in a couple of months in a rental property. I've seen that. Right? I had no idea. I have seen that. And we yeah. didn't budget for it. Oh, yeah. Right? And so, like, this lady moved in. She paid us three months up front. We're like, okay, that's cool. Three months up front? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. like, that's cool. So you yeah. say it's a red flag. For yeah. Me, I was like, that's awesome. Oh, that's a red flag, yeah. Right? And so cash? She, uh... They fake you in physical cash. I'd be really running the other way. Yeah, I, I don't remember that part. Yeah. Um, but I do remember that she was. Uh, uh, what was the word I'm looking for? Not co-signed, but uh, there was a an organization that was like, hey, you know, like we're supportive for blah blah whatever. Yeah. Anyway, apparently she didn't know that you don't have like your animals live with you at all times, <laughs> <laughs> and so we took a house. That we bought distressed, uh, where it was clear the previous occupants, don't know if they were owners or tenants, but the previous occupants were on meth. Oh my God. Because there was a lot of like self do yourself projects in the yeah. property, right? Oh yeah. Breaking bad. Right. And so we rehabbed the property, made it rentable, livable. And it's the first tenant. And uh, even though there was three months up front, it was supposed to be paying every month starting on month one. Yeah. And like month one, like, hey, what's going on? And the second, and then after that, we had to start the eviction process. And after two, three months, we get her out and we get into the property. We're like, squalor. What? Is yeah. This? What happened? <laughs> how does this, how does this happen in two months? Right. It's crazy. And so 20K to get it rent ready for the next tenants. Yeah. 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 Right. And fortunately, this time, we all have the ability to do this. Yeah. But you're buying a property with no equity. Brutal. And you're cash flowing just a few hundred bucks a month not worth it and you get one of these scenarios yeah right it's a mess it's a mess that's the thing with the creative i think they're great if they're good deals but mm -hmm. if a new person doesn't have the resources to do that now not only are they going to suffer but then the seller's going to suffer because yeah. their their name is on the loan so you just mm -hmm. got to really know what you're doing and understand the fundamentals of a good real estate deal whatever that means in your own world yeah and then make decisions based off that yeah. but i think the burr is just more straightforward if you're good at like we're good at getting deals at discount and flipping them and wholesaling them. Mm -hmm. So to do the burr doesn't really screw up our business model that much because we're doing the same thing. We're just not selling yeah. the property. What's you your know? price point when you're on your burrs? Generally, they're like under 300K in yeah. New York. Yeah, because yeah. above 300, it's, it's very hard because the New York, the taxes are high too. Like some of the taxes are 10 grand a year. Uh, being in New York, I believe a reliably blue state. Very. Uh, any challenges with non-paying tenants? I had a tenant it took me two years to do an eviction on. He got out earlier this year. Two years. Two years. Two years. And it still pencils out. Yeah, I got the house for 125. It's worth 280 right now. I okay. put 40 into it, but still yeah. it's a good deal. And a great tax write-off. 
Okay. Well, I, I, yeah. that's for me the thing. I, 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 I like the tax game in the rentals. That's what really makes a lot gotcha. of the times. That's what really moved, like gets me excited to do the deals. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I can cost seg this thing and offset a gotcha. lot of my active income. Yeah. But yeah, okay. two years, man. Two years doing multiple attorneys, cat and mouse game. I walked in that house after they got out and it was, it was a complete disaster. Like they left moldy food in the fridge. I almost passed out. Like I opened the fridge up and I was like, like it was bad. Never saw the property until that point. Yep. Yeah. I don't know Crazy. what was going through your head that you opened the fridge. You don't have to learn that lesson once. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to learn that lesson once. Yeah. But you did it. And yeah, <laughs> it, it was the, the, if, I will say the New York people are like, why do you do properties in New York for mm-hmm. rental? Mm-hmm. That's just like one of our main markets. But the eviction process there is brutal. Like yeah. it, it, if you're lucky, it'll take you six months. If you're lucky, usually it's a year. Yeah. I can't even imagine having Crazy. any rental properties in blue states. So, yeah. uh, to 28 now. Yeah. Started at 20 years old. Yeah. So a millionaire in seven years. Yeah. So last year. Yeah. So how did you become a millionaire in seven years? There's two things. It was saving the money from doing the active deals, mm-hmm. like putting up a lot of money in savings and then using that savings to either invest into flips to make like double or triple what we make wholesaling it and mm-hmm. or just put it in the bank to have four rental properties right. and then doing the burr and then getting the equity and stacking that equity up. So mm-hmm. it's really saving money to put into flips to then make more profit and then putting the rest in the bank account. I always have like a big cash reserve mm-hmm. and then buying properties, doing the burr, and then having that equity build up. So that's really the actual like strategy on how I did it. So is it more on the active income side or is it on the appreciation? More on the active, for sure. The, the, the appreciation helped and the equity I got from burring helped, but mm-hmm. the active income has always been the driver for me to be mm-hmm. able to do the rentals. Sure. You know, because I have to put 50K into a rental, you know, for six months. Like if you don't have that cash sitting around, like mm-hmm. you can't do it. So really then the focus, even though you're buying the rentals yeah. and this and that, which is also helping with the tax situation, yes. is having a successful active income business. Yes, that is the critical. I see a lot of people try to buy a rental property. They have mm-hmm. like no business. And I'm like, dude, that's not going to help you like, right. in the beginning. So then in the seven years you've been doing this, what would you say? Like, did you have like uh, a slow run up and then like a few really good years? Has it been steady, you know, steady Eddie? Is it like... Are you, you know, like I had a pretty good run during COVID. Yeah. Right? That stimming money was great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like yeah, was there, yeah. like, what would you attribute a lot of that so to? So the business has always done better. Like the year, like the next year has always been better historically. Mm-hmm. Like we've always done better the next year. So that I've always saved like more money every year and mm-hmm. I've paid myself more money as an owner every year because the business has done better. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing in terms of like the money management that's helped me is the profit first system. Mm-hmm. Every time we make a deal happen and there's money that comes in, that money gets strategically allocated into different buckets, tax bucket, savings bucket, marketing bucket, you know, um, paying the overhead bucket. So all the money that I get in from the business gets managed really strategically, kind of like my profile. It's like systematized. So like if we make 20K, I'm gonna put like 5K in savings, I'm gonna put, you know, four grand into marketing, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna use that money in a very strategic fashion. And that helps me save enough money to where when I have a deal I wanna burn, I have to put money into it, I can do that. Cause Mm -hmm. I know if I put that 50K in, I'm gonna have 100k of equity, so 50. You know what I mean? So that has really allowed me to to do it. So this is kind of so Jason Medley's been on the show, right? And what he was talking about was, um, making money is a skill. Yes. And everyone that's come on the show has learned that skill. And there's a lot of people in this country that are listening to the show that have learned this skill, probably at a really high level. Yeah. Keeping the money is a discipline. That is so true. It's it is a, a discipline. It's a completely different skill set yeah. or a different uh, attitude or perspective. Yeah. Right. And so you, pr- you mentioned profit first, and we had a, a good friend, David Richter, 
right? It's profit it's for, book. for real estate investors, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so I know you kind of broke it down, but for those that are uh, not familiar with profit first, yeah. can you break it down at a more fundamental level? Yeah, so it's basically like a money management system because mm-hmm. a lot of business owners do a lot of revenue, but it's just like all over the place, mm-hmm. right? So like what I do, I'll just tell you what I do. When we make money as a company from a deal, that whatever it is, 10 grand, 20 grand, 30, doesn't, it's the same process. Mm-hmm. That money gets allocated into different bank accounts. Mm-hmm. And then those bank accounts hopefully grow over time. So like right. if we bring in 20 grand, I don't just take 20 grand and put it in the operating account and mm-hmm. pay myself no salary. Like that 20 grand, well, the commissions get paid, all that stuff. What's left over goes for me into a savings account, like just to save. That's like mm-hmm. investment stuff, like saving money to do deals. And then I put money back into marketing so we can get more deals coming in. I put, mon- I put it just enough money to pay for our overhead for like the op expenses. Mm-hmm. And then I put money in one of my personal checking accounts for myself, just spending money. And then money into like a bills account for like mm-hmm. my bills that I have personally, like you yeah. know, car payment, whatever. So all that money just gets managed. So like anytime there's an expense, it gets paid from a certain bucket. Mm-hmm. So you can just, and then most importantly, you pay yourself first. I pay myself that, that savings account mm-hmm. draw first. Yeah. And that's what goes in the savings account. And then that's what's used to invest and, right. you know, create the success. Uh, so you do distributions per deal, not twice a month? Per deal. Per deal. Yeah. That's a little different of a wrinkle. It is a hairy wrinkle. I yeah. Need to, yeah I have. Two, hey, yeah, look. I do. It works. Yeah. <laughs> right? I pay myself a decent salary at the end of the year, but yeah, it's, it is a little yeah. hairy. Hey, again, I, I, who am I to question it? I, mean, I just went well. off the book, man. I went off profit first. I'm like, I remember reading that book a long time ago before mm-hmm. I had like a, the business to where it is now. And I was like, I'm just going to start doing this from day one. Yeah. So it's like just all gets managed up. But it requires discipline, right? And yeah. so the particularly because you flip, right? Like I have seen this happen so many times where if someone has a flipping operation, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, which that's kind of like yeah. what we dream about. But at the same time, the cash reserves never grows yeah. because it keeps going into the next flip, into the next flip. There's earnest like money It's like a never-ending treadmill. Yeah, there's, there's money to have the yeah. contractors pay. There's money for hard money payments. Like yep. It's just always going out. And so it's like... You're cash poor and accounts receivable rich right. as a flipper. But I, we like to wholesale to offset that yeah. because we got to offset that because that, that is true. Like the cash conversion cycle and the cash flow itself, especially mm-hmm. if you get hard money, yeah. is brutal. But the wholesale is like pay the bills. Right. But it's, it's fascinating because I never, uh, not never, but it was, I want to say like five years ago, it was the first time I heard this concept that you can go broke being successful. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You right? can. But it happens to flippers all the time. Yeah. Right. So uh, although, you know, you talked about you know, making a bunch of active income, I would attribute more, probably more to keeping a larger chunk of your yeah. active income being disciplined with it. Because again, it's so easy. Like there's this idea of this hustle culture. Yeah. Right. And put it all back in and no. keep going, going, going. Yeah, no, no, no. And never done that. I believed that for a long time in my career. Yeah. Just putting the money back into the business. Putting back in your yeah, business. No. Right. And it's like, how do I put it? It's, um, there's, it's never ending. You can always put more money into the business. Yeah. It's, it's always welcoming your money. Yeah. yeah. I, from day one, I've always paid myself a lot because mm-hmm. I've like, I want this business for the lifestyle. Right. Like, right. and if I just keep feeding this business, yeah, it's going to get more deals. But like, that habit's going to grow as the business grows. So like mm. from day one, I always started just saving the money on every deal and like just doing it in that, like literally following profit first, mm-hmm. like almost maybe to a fault sometimes where it's like, I literally do it like every time. And it's like, that was just all I've known. 
Well, right? it's it's in alignment with the strategist. Yeah. <laughs> and I have a whole spreadsheet that like yeah. maps everything out. It's funny, like every deal for the last like three years is just like profit first. It's like all the buckets. Yeah. And I have all like the chase accounts, like the little accounts for all like the different, it's just funny. How yeah, I, no, this is it. what we do. This is the way we do it every time we don't deviate. We don't, I don't deviate. No, and yeah. it's like when a deal closes, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to spend 20 minutes managing that money, chopping yeah. it up. So for you guys watching, Profit First for Real Estate Investors by David Richter. Yep. Or you can go and watch the podcast we did with David Richter on Real Estate Disruptors. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I commend great. you for, for doing that. You know, yeah. it's, it's a discipline that um, most people don't like to do, especially finances. Like, yeah. I can say, until I hired a bookkeeper, yeah, <laughs> it was always like, I'll do, it, I'll do my books this weekend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll right? do my books this weekend. Right? And it was probably... I would go like nine months at a time. <laughs> like without doing the books. Without doing the books. And they go in there, it's like, oh, what was this expense? Right? You gotta Wait, go how through. do I itemize this on QuickBooks? Yeah, you yeah. gotta check in the email. Like, okay, you gotta do a search for that dollar amount. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You gotta do Control <laughs> F. Yeah. You're yeah. like, what the hell? Right. Yeah. And so, um, uh, the what you're talking about is, is, is beyond bookkeeper, but like most people that listen are probably in the Captain and Maverick profile yeah. and don't like looking at their books. So again, you know, the, the secret, like you just kind of shared it here and it's such like, it's kind of like a boring secret. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right it's, it's not like, exciting. It's like not moving exciting. money into your checking account is not going to like get you to jump up and down. But I know like that system has worked to get me to where I want to get to. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I've seen that as we've grown, it's just gotten better. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, this is how I want to set it up because that's allowed me to buy the rentals. Like if I didn't have that money in the savings account personally, mm. It would be hard for me to buy that because like, oh, I'm stealing from the business. It's like, no, like that money is used to buy your investment property. Right. I like there was a great example. Like this was like last year. Best rental I bought so far. One bed condo, Newburgh, New York. Not a great area, if we're being honest. I had a bunch of money sitting from deals and I got the thing at a decent price. Mm-hmm. Forty six thousand or whatever. It's probably worth like seventy five at the time. It's gone up since. That property pays me six hundred dollars a month net in my pocket. There's no mortgage on it. But like that was that money was saved by being strategic with every single deal up until that point. Yeah. You know? So it's like, that's, and I've seen that and I'm like, oh, wow, that really, that made sense. Like, I'm glad I had that money sitting around from being strategic with profit first mm-hmm. to be able to buy that property. That's just going to pay me forever. Yeah. You know? So again, like the big reveal might feel anticlimactic, but that's really all it is. That's it's all it is. Make a lot of money. And save it. And keep it. And keep it. <laughs> and then use it. To buy properties. Yeah. Or like like before I started buying the rentals though, I was like, I would use that money save in savings to buy fix and flips. Mm-hmm. Cause I'd have to put 50K into these deals with a hard money line. And then we started getting private money. Mm-hmm. But like that 50K needed to be spent and I had it so we could do that deal. And instead of making 20K wholesale on it, we made 60 grand flipping it. Yeah. So then like that 50K I put into the deal all in made me 60K. Yeah. So I got my basis back of 50 plus I made my 60. Mm-hmm. So like, I've always like really liked kind of like, managing the money and like mm-hmm. look it's just like weird like because people know me as like a sales trainer but i really yeah. just like looking at numbers so yeah, it's pretty funny let's uh break this down because there's a few different things right so between wholesaling and flipping yeah so you mentioned you make more per flip and that's obvious right yeah the trade-offs is the cash conversion cycle brutal and flipping all right so cash conversion cycle uh more brain damage and more and risk too more risk. liability i have yeah. a lot of friends with slip and fall lawsuits at their flips yeah a lot of friends so more risk more brain damage yeah uh, more, uh, and you have to make payments. Yeah. And you got to deal with contractors. Yeah. And towns and violations and permits. Yeah. We just keep going all day. Right. <laughs> so for that instance, why do you flip? Because a lot of the times 
it just makes more sense to do that flip, even though there's a lot of garbage associated with it. Yeah. So like, for example, if we can make double what we would make wholesaling it, flipping it, mm -hmm. and it's not a crazy project, I'll flip it. Mm -hmm. Unless there's a cash flow problem. Yeah. Like if there's a cash flow problem and like we know that flip revenue is going to come in in five months, mm -hmm. but we, you know, maybe this little tight on deals or whatever. Yeah. We'll probably take that wholesale, get the cash in the door to get the marketing back out. Mm -hmm. But it really depends on the deal. But a lot of times if it's like we can make 25 wholesaling it without a doubt or 50 plus flipping it and it's not a huge rehab and we don't need to pay the like whatever, we'll do the flip. Yeah. So yeah. the key here is not a huge rehab. Not a huge rehab. Yeah. yeah. Like for me, yeah, it, we'll wholesale it. Again, I hate flipping. That's yeah, that's the best model, honestly. Yeah. I'll wholetail it. Yeah. Uh if it's double, we'll wholetail oh, it. Oh yeah. Right. No brainer. But it was like but actually I would take that back, right? If it was twenty versus forty, I probably will still take take the quick twenty. 20. I'll probably take the quick twenty versus like the longer forty. Just Yeah, just moving the, the money. Cash conversion second yeah. for me. Getting the momentum. It's big for the team too. Like, yeah. you know, people don't want to wait three, four months to get paid. Yeah, they get paid faster. Yeah. Yeah. I found too, like a lot of the deals, like at least before the market changed, like before the rates went up, you could make almost the same amount of money wholesaling these deals to these sucker investors. Oh yeah. Because like people would buy houses. Like I remember I did deal in San Diego. It was like, I made 70 grand, the flipper made like 20. And I was mm -hmm. like, what the heck? Like, cause like there was like no one, like no one cared because the mm -hmm. rates were so low. Like everyone wanted to buy houses. And then well, the everyone was betting up, on their appreciation. Yeah. And like now it's a lot different. Like it's still like a lot of people say like, oh, it's hard to find buyers now. I haven't had an issue really finding buyers for wholesale deals now, mm -hmm. if it's a deal. Right. right, that's where like the problem is. Is a lot of people are like they're selling these garbage deals to maybe funds or whatever. Mm -hmm. But now it's changed, so you have to actually have a deal, and then you haven't found an issue with getting buyers. Yeah. So, what does your life look like right now? You're talking about a lifestyle, yeah. And uh, I think you were saying you're in Japan, and one of your deals yeah. kind of went crazy. So what? What you, you're doing this for lifestyle? What's What's the lifestyle you have right now? I, mean, I like I like being able to like not have to physically be anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like I've just moved to Reno from San Diego, and like wasn't an issue because I was working remote anyway. Mm -hmm. So be, location independence is big for me. And then, like, the ability to just, like, kind of travel at will. Like, I went to Japan for a couple days, like, four days. Mm -hmm. Literally went to Japan for four days, which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's not really worth the... <laughs> it was a lot of travel for four days. But <laughs> been there, Singapore, Dubai. Like, I just like being able to set the business up to where, like, virtually I can do any, like, do the operation, mm -hmm. right? And then I can travel, like, I'm going to see my family for the holidays or for New Year's. Yeah. Right? Coming here for this podcast with you. Like, I don't have to physically be anywhere. So, like, mm -hmm. the location independence... And the whole virtualization of the business is really what like attracted me back in the day. And that's right. why I wanted to do it in Dallas to like prove the, the, the model. Mm -hmm. But it's just not having being tied anywhere, yeah. not having to be tied anywhere, like having to go to an office or having to go on appointments. Right. You can't virtualize that. Like if you're going on an appointment, you got to be local. Right? right. Having to go see contractors like I just don't like doing that. Mm -hmm. I'll do it once in a while in New York if I'm there, but I really don't enjoy it. And having that location independence just gives me a lot of happiness because mm -hmm. I, I feel like I just have that freedom. So the number one thing for you is location independence. Yeah. And so, being able to work wherever. Yeah. So, you know, I know I asked you this question before, but for everyone here, San Diego to Reno. Yeah. How did you <laughs> come to that conclusion? Yeah. So I actually went on a ski trip to Reno mm -hmm. and uh, I was up in like Lake Tahoe. It was really nice. Mm -hmm. And then I was in, went back to San Diego and I met my girlfriend and she's from there. And then, you know, I kept going there more and more. And like, honestly, San Diego, like, is a great spot. But like, I was kind of getting tired of it because I wasn't from there. And I was just kind of like working out of my house all day. You know, I had some fun here and there. Yeah. But like, I just was kind of ready to move on. And like, you know, kept going to Reno. And I was like, that's, and yeah. it's a better business state for taxes too. That doesn't hurt. For sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, so I lived in San Diego and I loved it there. Yeah. Uh, and I spent a lot of time in Tahoe. Tahoe's uh, great. Uh, not Reno. 
I, I think I only been to Reno once, but been a, went to Tahoe a whole bunch of time. Yeah. But it was really only just go snowboarding skiing, right? It was like day yeah, trips, I was just right? doing that this week. It's right. great up there. Yeah, I go from Sacramento, drive an hour and a half. Yep. Tahoe, hit. I was like Kirkland and like Kirkwood, Heavenly, Kirkwood, yeah, North right. Star, yeah, and then go back. Yeah. Right. Fun times. So. I like Reno too because Reno's like it's small, but it's got everything you need. Like San Diego was always so crowded. Like mm-hmm. if I wanted to go somewhere, it was like oh my god, thirty five <laughs> minutes. Reno, it's like I can get to the airport in five minutes. I can get to the gym in five minutes. I can get to the grocery store in five minutes. Yeah. And it has everything. Right, so yeah. it's pretty cool there. It's like it's like they call it the biggest little city in the world. Hmm. Like has everything you need, but you don't feel like you're in this like, big city. So interesting. Nice. Uh, what is your why? Hmm, it's a good question. I would say my why is doing what I want with who I want whenever mm-hmm. I want, and just having total freedom. And um, yeah, just having freedom. Honestly, yeah. like I got in this. Like I didn't have like some crazy why when I got into this business. Like I always mm-hmm. just wanted freedom, the ability to do whatever I wanted. Right. And this business has been, you know, able to allow me to do that. So that's like my why. And yeah. like giving back. I like giving back and helping people. What do, you, what do you give back to? So this year did a lot of charity stuff for Christmas. Was able to help a lot of families out who didn't have money for gifts. Mm-hmm. You know, we're able to contribute to some of those organizations and, you know, get Christmas gifts for people that couldn't afford it. Right. Yeah. And this business is a vehicle that allows me to do that. Right. Absolutely. So it's cool to do that. Yeah. What's your biggest struggle today? Man. Um, I would say the biggest struggle is really knowing when enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Not saying I have like some ginormous business, but just being like, do I want to double the business or do we want to keep doing what we're doing now? And maybe like even net more money. Like mm-hmm. it's just, that is probably my biggest struggle. Like not knowing like where I want to be at from like a business standpoint mm-hmm. and then just being like, all right, is this, do we want to do this? And, and like the big theme of 2023 was like optimize before expand. Mm-hmm. Cause everyone talks about growth and I see a lot of people, they grow and they get in big trouble. So I was telling the team this year and hiring, I had a hiring issue this year where I really had a bad team member and it was an issue for a while, but really getting really good at what we're doing now and making sure like we're going really deep versus going like wide with like more volume or another market or something like that, like being masters of our craft and knowing what our core business is. Like our core business is not flipping or wholesaling. It's getting deals at a discount. That's our core business. If we can do that, then we figure out how to make money on the house. Yeah. And I see a lot of people like deviate from that. Like if we can get amazing at getting deals at a discount from sellers, we can figure out the rest. Well, that's the single most valuable That is skill. the most critical thing you can do yeah. to anyone. It's getting deals at a discount. Right. That's what you want to optimize for. Not subject to deals or owner finance deals. You get the deals at a discount. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people lose sight of that. It's, I've lost sight of it before, man. Mm-hmm. I have to keep checking in because it's like yeah. that's what makes the money. Right. It's getting the deals. And the single most valuable skill is being able to find the motivated seller and locking that contract up. That is it. If you can do that, you know, you'll always make money. What was the situation with the bad hire? Uh, hired a lead manager from a referral and, um, you know, thought she was going to be decent. But that's a tough role, too, because you're talking to sellers on the front line mm-hmm. and just was never the right fit for that role and constantly kept training and training and training and training. And there's never improvement. Didn't know when to fire and then just kind of kept letting it go. And then the ball kept getting dropped and we kept training and training and training and training and training. Yeah. And it's like, you can't steer a parked car. So after (laughs) enough time, we were like, all right, we got to just do a performance improvement plan again for the third time. And Mm -hmm. then if it's not there, we're going to just have to get rid of her. But then we're going to have to go back to Brett being on the phone a lot. Right. Right. So just the lesson I learned from that was don't just like, if someone really stinks, get rid of them pretty quickly. 
Yeah. Like we let that linger for seven months. It's terrible. Uh, it, for, even for them too. It was like, we, we did them a disservice by keeping them on that long. That's so how I thought about it. Why do you think, cause you know this, like logically you're aware of this. Yeah. But you still hold on. To, and look, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm giving you a hard good, time. Yeah. 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 I'm guilty of this as well. Oh yeah. I've held on to too many people for, for far too long as well. Yeah. So why do you think we do that? I think we do that because we don't want, like, it is inconvenient to hire somebody else and go through that process. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I might as well keep them on for now until they're really bad because mm -hmm. I don't want to have to go back and hire someone else out because that's a pain in the butt. Yeah. That was my logic behind it. But then once I got rid of her and I got my new guy, he's way better. I had to go through that process again to hire somebody. But now, like, I'm here doing the show and yeah. I don't have to constantly be like, oh, did you call it lead back or whatever? Like, it's just... You get the right person, you can teach them the skills. Mm -hmm. You can't teach the skills to the wrong person. I've learned that the hard way, right? Yeah. Like you cannot teach the wrong person skills. It's I've possible. had uh, someone call me out, where right? I was like, oh, so you would coach someone else to get rid of that person, and you still got that person? It's like, okay, you're right. Get yeah. I'll, get, I'll go get rid of that person. <laughs> yeah, I, I've found too, like with getting people, it's like, like Brett, for example, you know, he's basically a partner at this point. Like he's an internally motivated person, mm -hmm. right? So I can't control that. But once I gave him the skills, he took off. Right. But if you hire someone who is not motivated or they're not a good fit for a lead manager or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you can give them all the training you want. They're going to not be successful. No. Yeah. This, you know? uh, the term we call it was, um, had to come with batteries included. Right. <laughs> Never uh, heard that. Yeah. Batteries need to be there. Yeah. If they don't come with batteries included, there's nothing you can do. Big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how do you stay motivated? How do I stay motivated? I, I don't know. I just feel like I've been doing this for eight years now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I like the results I've been getting so far. So if I want to keep these results or get better results, I got to just keep doing what I did. Yeah. Right. And keep getting better. And I just feel like this business too, like if you compare it to like, if I had to have a corporate job and go to the office every day, like I look at my situation, I'm like, yeah, there are some bad days in business for sure that drive me nuts. Mm -hmm. But like at the end of the day, like this is a pretty good setup. Right. This is a pretty good setup. Work from anywhere. You know, got to deal with crazy sellers a lot, but at the end of the day, like you always can compare your situation to a worse situation and reframe yeah. it yeah. and then be grateful right. and staying. Like, I, I try to stay very grateful. Like just yeah. what am I grateful for today? Uh, how do you measure success? I measure success probably by it's just taking what my goals are and seeing if I'm making progress towards them every day. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not like a dollar amount. It's not like a deal volume thing. It's like, what are my goals? And am I taking steps towards those goals every day? Because if I do that over time, I'll hit them. Yeah. Simple. Real simple. Yeah. What's your superpower? And after we had that PI discussion, I think it's probably more the, the strategy, probably like the strategy behind mm -hmm. the plan. It's yeah. like not just being like, oh, like big picture person. Like I like to actually like take that big picture and really like map out how we're going to get there. Mm -hmm. And that's something that gives me a lot of energy. Yeah. Right. Well, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Right. That's probably my biggest thing. Because if I was more just like big picture, I'd probably be like all lost in it. But like, I like the details and I like being able to say like, if we want to do this goal, this is the marketing we have to do. This is what the conversion rate needs to look like. This is the systems we got to have. And like, I can see that that system will get us to the goal. So it's like believable. Right. But I think that's something I like to spend a lot of time on. Like I've been spending a lot of time planning 2024 mm -hmm. and just like reverse engineering the marketing, reverse engineering the sales process, looking at our conversion rate, looking at our channels, what channel converts the worst, what channel converts the best. Why is that? Like, I like to just sit there and like analyze it. And that you like looking at dashboards. Yeah. Spreadsheets. Yeah. I like Google Sheets better than Excel too. Google Sheets. Google Sheets is good. I take it all over with me. It's on my phone. It's on my computer. Google Sheets is good. I, I can't knock yeah. Google Sheets. We use Google Sheets way 
Way too much. Yeah, right. Me too. But everything's a spreadsheet for me. But it's uh, I guess say as far as even though we use QuickBooks, yeah, we still use Sheets to do some calculations, this yeah, and that, and then compensation, right? We just download from Stripe and Kartra, and we just plug it into the Sheets, and then we have our compensation, right? Here's how much the commissions were. Exactly. Yeah, You'll write through Zapier. Uh, whole system. And persistence. That's another superpower. I yeah. think in the beginning, it was like just persistence. Because in the beginning, it's Well, yeah, like, nine months to your first deal. Persistence. What do they say? Persistence breaks resistance. It's mm -hmm. like if you just keep... like, but there's Persistence is tricky, though, because you can persistently do the wrong thing and go absolutely nowhere mm -hmm. with a bad strategy. Right. But if you have a... Like, this business works. Like, there's enough people having success wholesaling and flipping. Like, it clearly works. Mm -hmm. So if you persist with the right strategy, that's where you're going to find success. But if right. you just consistently do the wrong things over and over and over again, mm -hmm. you got to change your strategy. Yeah, I remember reading that in Perry Marshall's book. I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, which book? Eighty Twenty Sales and Marketing. Yeah, that was is a, my favorite sales and marketing book. It's a fantastic. That book. is like the best marketing book. Oh, it's so good. It's interesting. He calls it Eighty Twenty Sales and Marketing because it's a marketing book. It's Eighty Twenty Marketing. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, but but it, it it was an yeah. incredible book, right? And uh, we had a conversation yesterday during annual planning, and someone brought up billboards. Like, look. We have to go in order of direct response. Yeah. Billboards are like the last. Billboards the last. Yeah. Right. First we, one's PPC. Yeah. PPC, <laughs> TV, direct mail. We, got, we, have yeah. to, we have to have gone beyond the point of, uh, what's it? Um, it's the point where it's no longer effective. I can't remember the exact term. Diminishing returns. Diminishing returns. Yeah. We have to get past the point of diminishing returns. Before you try another channel. Before we try billboards. Yeah. Like, like billboards. I Especially appreciate Phoenix, you guys man. saying that we want to do billboards, yeah. but let's, let's max out all these other things. I'd first. rather do TV than billboards. Oh, for sure. Yeah, right, Billboards. Billboards Labs. And Perry talks about that yeah. in the book. It's a great book. That's for, a great book. If anyone yeah. wants to, like if someone just read that book 10 times and implemented it, they mm -hmm. would really have their act together. Yeah, no, it's a great, great book. So Perry Marshall's 80-20 Marketing. Um, what's your biggest regret? My biggest regret is probably not keeping a lot of these houses I've flipped and wholesaled. <laughs> Disgusting. I look at, like there's an example, uh, Monroe, New York, where I'm from, born and raised, like very expensive area near the city. I sold a flip top of the market at the time, 375. That was in 2021. It's 525 right now. Yeah. And yeah. I bought it for 160. We had a, so. a property that we had to sell. So that, that nightmare property with the tenant with the 20K in damage, yeah. right? So Disaster. In, in order to move that property and yeah. get it off our books, because it was not good. Yeah. Right? And it's before the market returned. So. Oh, this is somewhat recent. No, no. I'm saying, I'm saying like in 20. 11, oh, that's when the market was really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Wow. It's like, okay, like, we're just going to get rid of We got to just get rid of this thing. Yeah. Right? Just, in order to get rid of this property, it. we had to sell our property in Austin, which is consistently cash flowing. Oh. And I look at this property in Austin now. Yeah. It's like, oh, man. That thing went up probably <laughs> two, three hundred grand. More than that. Oh. Right. Austin, hot market. Yeah. Like, I, if, if there's any one property I wish I kept, it would be it that, Austin. that Austin property. Yeah. yeah, it's brutal. Like, I mean, it's, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, I needed that money to grow my business. So it's like, you could always, I could say that for days. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I wish I didn't, the 200 and something deals, I wish I kept that them one. All. We could just like, we could have just give, give yeah. that one to the bank. That, that one we we're trying to like get it off the books and just <laughs> get it off. We could just give it back to the bank, kept that awesome property. Right. But, you know, you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And I, right. I think the rentals too, that when you get in a bad situation with a tenant, it, it's just, you just want to get out of there, man. Yeah. It's just painful as an owner. Uh, what book have you gifted more than any other? The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Yeah. I still have 10 copies in my office just giving them out to people. Yeah. That's the best book. Why? Why, why that book? Because it's so simple mm -hmm. to execute on. That's the truth. It's, yeah. If you just read that book and execute it, that's it. Yeah. So you're not, 
really like inspiring, like, oh, like, he's got this big secret. It's like, no, you just no, do the work. Just do the work. <laughs> just do it's, the work. But that book like makes it like permission <laughs> for it to be that simple. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like choices, habits, momentum, associations, and then the force multiplier effect. Yeah. That's that whole book. That's like the six chapters. But it's mm -hmm. like, if you just do those and implement right. it, like that will give you success in any business. Any business, right? And like Darren Hardy, like I think uh, of all the coaches, right? Like I think I've given him the most money, right? Dude, he loves getting money. He's great at it. He's great at He's it. He's great at it. I did his, uh, Jesus. Business Masterclass? No, not that. What's the one before? Hero's Journey? Yes. Yeah. That one. That was good. Yeah. Yeah, I did Hero's Journey with Augie. Oh, so, you did? Yeah, so Augie and I, did, we did it together. Yeah, it was Augie, Jason Lewis, and a few other people. Yeah. We went through Hero's Journey together. Um, but yeah, like it's just, it's simple. Everything you said today yeah. was simple. Yeah. But not easy. No. And it requires massive discipline. Massive consistency. Yeah. That's why I love like listening to like Brian Tracy, Jim Rohn, Darren Hardy. Mm -hmm. Like those guys just keep it real. Yeah. The Earl classics. Nightingale. Yeah. Like that's just that's easy stuff. You just execute that and that's all you need. But it's so much easier to find the magic pill off of social media. Yeah, right. The AI <laughs> bot hack yeah. chat GPT special. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's I wish it was that easy, but it's not. It's not. But definitely the compound effect. Yeah. That's the gift I've all right. I want you to think about uh, a message. Uh, that you uh, leave all the listeners with while I make a couple of quick announcements. Uh, let's see here. So it's the 20th. So this will be coming out, I think, potentially beginning of the year. Sweet. So right around that time, we'll have launched our new podcast, Close More Sales. So we're launching a new podcast, Close More Sales. I think by then the website should probably be up, closemoresales.com. And then we're going to have to have you back on. Yes. Because that's the podcast where we talk only about sales. In person or virtual? I would think in person would be better, but that's totally your call. Okay. We don't have the same requirements for that podcast, at least not yet. Okay. We will, but not yet. But I think, you know, it'd be awesome to have Easy you back Easy flight on. from Reno, man. Yeah. It'd be wonderful to have you back on for our Close More Sales podcast. So keep an eye out, closemoresales.com. We saw Part of the Disruption, Certainty Talks. Make sure you check out those shows as well. Uh, what are some last thoughts you want to leave all the listeners with? I would say that it depends on where you're at in your journey, but... This business, if you just give it your all and you commit and you study your craft and you master it, it can give you the life of your dreams. Yeah. Simple. 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 Uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, probably two ways. Greg at VelocityHouseBuyers.com or my Instagram at Grego underscore 37. Grego 30, is that, is that your hockey? My skateboarding nickname from middle school. Grego. Grego. G-R-E-G-O. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Perfect. That's it. Thank you so much. Thank you for awesome. coming Thanks on. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for watching. We'll see you guys Shout next time. Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.